everybody. Welcome to the Bass Brotherhood. This is Alex, a.k.a. Lead Pacer, and I am joined by the illustrious Twitter legend, Ajak, in the house. What's and up, Alex? Dude, I want to thank you for joining us because you had to fight to get down here. Oh, no problem. Yeah, so, you know, he's on, he's on the way, and he's, he's been in the car for about an hour and, a half, hour and ten minutes, and all of a sudden it's going to take, you know, what, 56 minutes to go another seven miles? Yes. But uh, he's accustomed to South Florida traffic. <laughs> Exits gets here in about 15 minutes. So kudos, man. Really appreciate you joining us tonight. Oh, no problem. Yeah, there was a bus that broke down in the uh, – that's what it was, actually. I guess multiple buses, and there was some kind of – a bus breakdown plus an accident in the express lane. Okay. So then I had to, like, just – Drive over the uh, whatever they're all, you know, the cones, pylons. <laughs> right, right. Managed to make my make my way to an exit, and this took surface streets to get here. So it worked out. Now we appreciate your time. Thanks out. for joining us. Um, so I want to talk a little bit. You know how I you know, became aware of you it was probably back in like 2017, 2018, and you were really, um, you know, I, I think kind of arrived in the manosphere as one of those guys, mm -hmm. and you did some conferences and a lot of talks about that. But you're also, you know, you were a feminist destroyer. In a, in a friggin' brawler. I mean, taking people on and, you know, you grew your account and, you, you know, I have a lot of admiration for you because you're one of those people that was able to actually monetize it and turn it into a business. And that's rare because we know a lot of people on Twitter, you know, that, um, you know, they may have 100, you know, 500,000 followers and they're still struggling to actually monetize Twitter. So you yes. were able to turn that into a business. And um, so, I mean, what was your, let's kind of go back to, you know, the yeah. origin story and, you know, when did you get on Twitter and just what was your, your process, you know, from the origin point to where you are now? So Twitter, according to Twitter, I made an account in 2009. I have no memory of that at all. I remember, the first time I remember tweeting was 2015. Okay. And I found the platform interesting simply because it was very fast. Mm -hmm. It's a stream of consciousness conversation. And it quite obviously favors people that can write well and write prolifically. And writing has always been a superpower of mine. Um, <laughs> I can just, I can, if you put me in front of a computer or, you know, pen paper, I can write 500 words in minutes. It's just, it's not hard. Writing's not hard. So I found Twitter. I found it interesting where it was a sort of mix of, at that time, it was politics plus these niche internet communities. It was legitimately at that time, like a free speech platform. People yes. were, you know, as we would say now, very based yeah. Uh, much more explicit in the language. Stuff, th things that would get you banned today, you could say, back then. Um, You're right about that. Base was, yeah. was more of a standard, whereas now we're like, oh, that's base, as in, that's a surprise. Yeah, or the, the, yeah. the term back then, I think, was dank. So Twitter was super dank <laughs> in 2015, yeah. 2016. So I started using it. I didn't have any intentions as to what it would turn into. Um, at the time, I was working in the fitness industry. Technically, still am. I was writing for a few companies. And what I had noticed in like the mid 2010s, a trend that I was paying attention to was that at least in fitness, there was this phenomenon happening of people becoming what we now call personal brands. Mm -hmm. So there were various bodybuilders, coaches, personal trainers, and they were developing online followings and online reputations based on their body of work being writing, blogging, mm -hmm. YouTube videos. They're releasing content. They're release, so what we call, you know, content is king. Right. That's a common saying now. They are making content. People were learning from it. People are applying it. People are watching their videos, reading their articles. There's someone to know. And they were releasing procs, a lot of them. Um, 531, very famous online program, powerlifting program, uh, released by Jim Wendler, I think in 2011, 2012. Uh, 
I met the editor of that program that worked with Jim on it. Um, God rest his, God rest his soul. He's a, he's a death now. Oh, wow. Um, Bob Illenfeld. But, um, I mean, this is now backtracking down to like 2013, but Bob had told me that, you know, Jim had sold tens of thousands of copies of this program. And this was in like 2013 that I got this idea in my head. I was 23, 24 at the time of like, oh, wow. Like you can, you can create, you can productize knowledge mm-hmm. and share it with the world and you can get paid for it. Yeah, it's a virtuous relationship. I give you something useful. Obviously, you you pay me. I've done I've done something good for you. I've been compensated for it. Like you can, and you can create a business out of that. Um, you know, so it, you know, it's it's a business on the the level of the individual. So Jim Wendler was the first guy I knew that really did that successfully. But so the idea was always in the back of my mind of like, what if I get to that level where I can create a business around what I know? Mm-hmm. And at the time, being you know twenty three, I've been training for about four or five years. I didn't feel like I did not feel or think that I had the level of knowledge that was necessary to really be useful to people that way with, you know, if I didn't want it to be authentic, yes, I didn't want to, I did not want to be imitative of other people. Um, so that's 2013 fast forward, 2015, 2016, I'm using Twitter. It's, it's very political. Yeah. I'm, you know, firing off spicy tweets, but I also started (laughs) tweeting out fitness content. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was spicy on Twitter in 2016. Yeah. Again, you could be spicy then you wouldn't get banned or censored. Things change. Oh, well. Um, but I was also releasing fitness content. I was tweeting about just, you know, training tips, conversations I was having with clients. Mm-hmm. So I developed this early reputation of what's now, what's now called like self-improvement Twitter or money Twitter or mass beer Twitter. It was myself, Ed Lattimore, I guess you could probably also say like Cernovich. Mm-hmm. And we were just, you know, Cernovich had probably more, more of the political stream out of the, the, th- the three of us. But Ed and I, we were just sharing thoughts that we thought were good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it, you know, amongst ourselves, you know, many times of like, yeah, what are you doing Twitter? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. But it's fun and people like it. We're building an audience. Uh, feels like we're doing something good for people. Right. Yeah, it was helping us a little bit with our businesses. I was getting people buying programs. He was getting a following for his website, you know, for even for his fight career at the time when he was still fighting. He suddenly had like a fan base. So it seemed like a good thing. Um, you know, it was a very nascent personal brand, you know, five, six years ago. And then over you know, the past five years, it really, it really grew. I got discovered, so to speak, by the Manosphere in about 2017. Spoke at some of those conferences the past few years. Uh, you know, even the, the concept of male, masculine, self-improvement, self-development, that became, you know, something like a, a culturally, you know, conscious idea. Yeah, that was somewhat like, that was like very subconscious on the internet for mm-hmm. a long time. Very niche. Now, in 2022, male self-improvement, guy self-improvement, that's a whole industry now. Yes. Yeah, it's gone mainstream. Five years ago, five years ago that was not the case. So I got in early on these waves, and when you operate a personal brand you know, the way I operate it, you have to always distinguish between what is useful to people versus what do I want to talk about, and also mm-hmm. you know, what do I feel like talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's no set path to do this. There's no formula. There's no protocol. There's no master article online that tells you, here's how to run a personal brand and become a known person. And what does it mean to be an errant celebrity? Like You do have to figure it out yourself. Um, you know, luckily having my background being a personal trainer in Hollywood, kind of working with people in the entertainment industry and with celebrities and sort of seeing the fame culture, I think I have a very healthy relationship with it. So, you know, I'm, I'm real with my audience. Like people have an impression of me and how I act and how I speak. It's congruent with who I am in real life. Mm-hmm. I also know how to keep it entertaining. I also know how to be cheeky about it. I don't take myself too seriously. I don't take, you know, that interaction necessarily too seriously all the time. Like you, you need to maintain those boundaries. 
And at the same time, I recognize that my influence might be very real for people. It might be very meaningful, impactful. And if we meet and, you know, there's something substantial there, like, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, you know, or maybe you just follow me because you think I'm funny. Right. <laughs> you know, not everything has to be serious. Right. So you, you have to strike that dynamic balance all the time with it. Um, yeah, and over time, it becomes you know, sort of like an unconscious skill. And you tried a lot of different things out. And one of the things you said that I really like is how you, real, you kind of let these things take a while to germinate. It's not like when you had, you know, the, the incipient stage of the idea, it's like, okay, let's go do this right now. You let it build like, okay, I need to build more knowledge. I need to take this in yes. and kind of become accustomed to, you know, what this medium is going to be like, how do I fit within it? And you did a lot of, you know, AB testing. You're trying different things yes. out. Where do I fit in? Because I think about, you know, you're a dynamic guy. Well, one of the things I like about it is you're a real person. Uh, you're not, you know, there, there are a number of guys on Twitter that are, you know, the image they're projecting isn't necessarily who they are. And you've always been a real person. I think part of that is demonstrated by the fact that you have these varied interests and you're willing to express it. Whereas they're not, you're not just like a, you know, a one trick pony. And I really do appreciate that. No, I, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, I mean, this is sort of always the, the criticism of being online where you can create a persona. Yeah. And the persona might be more of your idolized self. Maybe it's the, it's the version of yourself that you wish was real. It's not real in the real world, but online, no one really knows. You right? might be able to sell it. Yeah, yeah you can sell it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and then there's, you know, there's always that discrepancy that, you know, if, if people were to meet you, would you uphold the image that you present to them? You know, I've always, you know, I should say, or I've, I've, I'd say I've never, I've never faked anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been doing lives and periscopes and, you know, even using Instagram, like, you know, showing my face, you know, for years and years and years. Like people know what I look like. You can hear me speak and hear my voice. You can see me talking to people. I've done lots of live events where I've gone and met with people and, you know, we've interacted like, oh, okay. Like, wow, you're, you're a real guy. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't. Well, make, what else what you're thinking? Like, what yeah, else, like, would, what I else be? would I be? Right. Yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't make this account to compensate for anything. It was really just, you know, really it was just sort of like a curiosity making a Twitter account years right. ago, finding it fun to use. And then, you know, at some point in the process realizing that, Hey, you want, I could turn this into a business, you know, by creating this brand of one, you know, a minimalist entrepreneur, that's like a new term for it. I've heard people use, um, and you know, that could be very lucrative, you know, because I saw other people in the fitness industry doing that where they were just, they're one person started following, you know, became, you know, I developed a reputation. Oh, this is a really cool, swell guy, great mm -hmm. content. I'm going to buy stuff from him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep up with what he's doing. Uh, 10 years ago, that was a very novel idea. The only way to be famous was to be a celebrity. You had to be in movies, artist, athlete. Today, the big celebrities are self-made. There are people online that, you know, others realize like, wow, this person really has something to offer us. I'm going to follow them. And then like they have, the, it's the same kind of a, you know, fame arc, except you have much more control over it. Yes. Like, obviously, you don't. there's no PR. You know, you're not slave to a publicist or production company or a management company or a talent agency. It's all on you, how you want to create and present yourself and live your life. And, you know, that's cool. And some people can handle it and some people can't. Like there's a lot of people obviously that have flamed out trying to be cool on the internet. Yeah, I know that that's really true. So I want to ask you, what have you enjoyed the most in terms of like subject matter? What are the things that really get you excited to talk about? Because you are, you are a guy like yeah. you're verbally acute and you can go after people. And I think you, uh, I don't exactly remember what tweet it was, Someone. but I think it might've been something, oh gosh, I can't remember what it was related to women. You went viral. Might have, I, I can't remember what it is. Well, it'll come 12, uh, it's like a few how, years how be, back. How to be a beautiful woman. That was a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you're, you're, and part of it is because you're like, you're enemy number one, because you're mm -hmm. like a handsome guy with flowing locks. And it's like, that's going to trigger some people like this guy. 
Yeah, like, well, it's, is, it's cognitive dissonance. Yeah. yeah, that was interesting because I've never purposely tried to go viral, like being insulting per se. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it's always accidental when it happens. That tweet in particular, that was a parody tweet of another tweet <laughs> okay. that I found. It's one of those. The, yeah, it was. It was literally yeah. just parody where I, I don't know who the guy was. It was just something that came across my timeline of, here's twelve things women don't have to do for men, and I. It was like a male feminist tweet. It was like it was yeah. like the twelve things that I listed. And I thought it was just pathetic and try hard and cucked, basically. I'm like, this is just gross, you know, <laughs> right. gross energy. Right. Um, yeah, that was that was when, you know, before COVID and everything else happened, that was like when feminism and like that sort of male-female battle was like the foremost, you know, like social confrontation at the time, you know, three years ago. Uh, so, yeah, I found that tweet. And I'm like, this is this is stupid. And yeah. I just, I just reversed it. I, did, I, did, I just inverted it, basically. I'm like, here's 12 things women need to do to be beautiful. Versus don't need to do. Yeah. And then it just so happened that it went viral and it went mega viral. Yeah, the impre- I still remember the impressions from that tweet since they were in like the tens of millions or something like it was like 50 million in one day. I wonder if did you make any like national news publications. I like did a da- few. Daily a few. Mail or something yeah, like I, that. I was, I was in, I know I was, it, I was in the news and I, I was in the news, news, news in a few places. Like I think in Baltimore, I was in the news. Like someone sent me in the Baltimore. Clips. <laughs> yeah, someone sent me the clips. In Baltimore. Like, that's yeah, too no, funny. I, I'm pretty sure it was Baltimore. Someone yeah. sent me the clips of like the daily news update for Channel Five, something like that. Of like this, and here's in today's story from from Twitter. This <laughs> this guy you know, said like this, and it was actually yeah. a funny clip since the two female anchors were like they weren't upset. They like they thought it was like funny. It's clever. And then yeah. the one male anchor was like, he's a, he's an asshole. He's a jerk. And they're like, well, is he really a jerk? Like he's just he's saying this to be funny. Oh, he has long hair. It's like, I, I remember distinctly as like, this is, this is, I can't even made the news, right? And then I know it was in, it was in Australia, it was in Britain. Like it actually went mainstream. Yeah. Funny enough. Mm-hmm. And it, it like, I'll tell you right now, going viral means absolutely nothing. Like my day-to-day life didn't change. No one called me yeah. on the phone. Like nothing. I know people try, I know people try to dox me. You're like, we're going to take this guy down. You're going to get canceled. Nothing happened. No, nothing happens because I don't have a real job. So. Something to you're cancel in, me you're from. uncancelable, and it, one yeah. of the things we t- and I inter- and I did interrupt you, and I want, I want to come go back ahead, to you real ahead. quick before we go back to this. But I'm just talking about myself. Well, no, and it's, well, that's why that's why we're here, man. We want to learn more about you, um, and then we'll talk about some really fun stuff here in a bit. But what do you get the most? Like, what do you enjoy talking about on Twitter? What, oh yeah, that was the question. Yeah. No, what I what I actually enjoy talking about you know, on a very personal level is I've always really loved philosophy. I've always loved, you know, sort of like the, you know, the classical philosophical existential questions of, you know, why are we here? Why do things mean what they mean? Like, what, you know, yeah. what, what does knowledge mean? Yeah, you know, how do we know anything? Um, yeah, I had like a period of like when, like about two years ago, where I was very into sort of studying like the masculine feminine dynamics and polarity of like these sort of these substructural premises and truths that sort of underlay like our actions and how mm-hmm. we think of ourselves. That's stuff I find really cool. You know, like I, I, I say this occasionally like on Instagram where I love philosophy. Right. You know, philosophy is something like if you're, you know, somewhat smart, like you kind of get off on it. Right. You know, it's very, like it's brain candy is what I call it, you know, the study. Um, is any of that really useful? Not really. <laughs> well, that, that's the interesting thing about like, you know, people's, are we, do we choose or are we chosen? And so like what you're interested in, what mm-hmm. you like spending your time on could be very different than what you're naturally good at and what other people respond to. Yes. And not to say that people don't like your tweets about philosophy, because yeah. I'm sure they're good. But I, I used to tweet more kind of about things I'd study that way. But then over time, as Twitter changed and everything got productized to be very marketable, mm-hmm. um, you know, I realized that you know, having that kind of dialogue conversation with yourself, it's not going to do anything for you probably brand-wise or you know, monetization-wise. Um, Ed's a little bit better at it than I am. Like He's very quotable quote. 
Yeah, he's good. Yeah, he's excellent at that. I like to do more of like sort of the missives where it's like multi-tweet. I used to do that a lot more often. But then over time, I realized the formula, like if you want to you know, grow your account, take a subject, break it down to bullet points. Here's five things you should do. Here's five things I'm going to teach you. You know, turn into a story, storyfy your tweets. You know, this is a very all sort of like classical marketing tactics now on the internet. Yeah, and, and Twitter's become, you know, uh, yeah, how should I say? It's it's lost its whatever intellectual diversity it's had. It's probably lost at the last two three years. Yeah, I agree with you. It, but it just that, that's just the reality of it. Um, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of these platforms, they're not really. Uh, they've grown to such scale. They're, the profit motive isn't necessarily the motivation for the people that are owning it. It's kind of like no. Jeff Bezos in the Washington Post. He pays $250 million for you know, a, dead, a dead paper rag, <laughs> but he has the influence now of owning the Washington Post. Mm -hmm. and it's still talked about, and I mean, it's still a very important publication. And so that was a piece of property that he wanted to acquire you know, as part of his basket of things that he owns. Yeah. And so is it really going to ever make him money? Of course not. But it's something that he has. And I think that's true with a lot of these platforms, with, with Twitter. Has tr Twitter really done everything that they should do to monetize? I mean, it is the most useful social media platform, in my view, in terms of providing real value for other people. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a live town conversation. Square. No, Twitter is amazing. It's, it's a live conversation. I mean, there's no way to really copy Twitter because it does have that sort of like brand not even recognition, but this has the overall functionality and everybody's there. Yes, it does. Um, and, you know, and that's really like set in at this point. But yeah, the level of like intellectual discourse, and this is not probably just Twitter, it's probably like the entire area. The level of intellectual discourse in the United States, I think has definitely gone off a cliff this past decade. I think we've noticed it more just because of censorship and because of those, um, you know, speech controls that have become so prevalent on every single platform, where the ability to have nuance and in-depth and you know, let's say, you know, controversial conversations about certain subjects, mm -hmm. you just, you can't have them. And if you can't talk about one thing and everything that's periphery to that, you suddenly talk less about as well. And everything that's a periphery to that, it's like, yeah, maybe this, I don't even feel like mentioning this publicly. And then if you know that you're going to get canceled or shamed or there's going to be you know, some sort of outcry online, well, let me not say anything at all. Yeah, and I, it was, it's kind of a learning curve for me because I realized most people, yeah, the vast majority of people, they're not trying to be controversial online. You know, maybe they just want to have a conversation. Mm -hmm. They just want to you know, have some kind of interaction. So when they get negative feedback from people, I mean, it could be something, it'd be as innocuous as tweeting something, someone else says, this is stupid. I, I didn't think it was stupid. The normal interaction for somebody, normal, normal reaction is like, mm -hmm. kind of upset. Like, I, I was just trying to express myself. Um, you know, the people that can sort of go into the fray where they're unaffected by any kind of feedback and they're just going to express themselves however they want, and also trying to navigate, you know, this sort of or now like or almost Orwellian standard of what you say and can't, like saying cannot say. That's very few people. You yeah. Know, it's, if I mean the Twitter statistics, like every platform, but Twitter especially, it's something like ten percent of users producing eighty percent of the content. Right. Everybody else is just lurking and seeing what the people are saying. Well, I mean, look, it, it's you have Twitter has thirty-eight million daily active users in the United States out of 330, 340 million people. So maybe one out of nine people are comfortable using it. Yeah. And a lot of them aren't necessarily doing anything with it other than just observing. It's a curated content that they, it's a better news source than anything else out there. Yes. But I mean, look, I'll, I'll send people tweets. You know, I'll, I'm talking about, you know, boomer, beamer, boomer types, mm -hmm. you know, my parents, and they are just like, what the hell is this? It's, um, it, it's intimidating to like go in that kind of arena and be able to make sense of it all. It does take time to learn how to do it. You've done a great job of it, but 
there is a certain kind of robustness and spine and uh, that, you know, that you're going to have to exhibit to be able to maneuver it, let alone be able to actually produce content and do something with it, right? I mean, I would say the, the human brain, I'm, this is very cliche, like the human brain was not evolved for this. The human brain has evolved for a lot of things, but it definitely is a, a neurological cognitive struggle to put someone on a platform, have them navigate the interactions of literally tens of millions of people at once, and, all right, make, make sense of that. Yeah. And don't, don't, don't screw it up. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, we're, we're, as a species, you know, as human beings, like, we're, we're very evolved to interact on one-on-one basis, mm -hmm. obviously. We can interact in larger groups. You know, Dunbar's number, you know, about 150 relationships you can maintain. A platform of millions where you're, you know, saying the wrong thing, the right thing, selling your idea, spreads memetically, it goes viral. Yeah. Uh, that's insane. Like, yeah. like, how do you handle that? No, I, I, it's, it, it's uncharted waters, and, you know, really until the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Um, you know, one of the things you, I think you touched on that I'm going to get into a little bit more is yeah. how Americans don't even really understand you know, the level of censorship that we're that we're that we do, and just a lack of conversation that we have. I mean, you look in like the UK, you have question times, you have these talk shows with people from all kinds of diverse backgrounds, and they are debating topics that we would never touch here. And, but Americans just don't really see it. They don't have that kind of exposure to it. No, I, America, I mean, this is kind of, this is a little bit of like a meta argument. Has America ever had like a real intellectual tradition? Yeah, you know, if you were to ask someone that's French, they'd probably say no. Like, I, like, so I love French philosophy. Um, you know, no one cares about French philosophy, but anyway, <laughs> they, they like, there's oh, wow. someone out there that there's does. There's like three people like, oh, wow, no, really? There's, there's someone out there that does. Yeah, I, there's I, like, yeah, yeah like yeah. I'm, I'm one of those people, like, I'll watch Lacan lectures on He's YouTube. He's speaking to you right now, folks. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll watch the fucking Lacan lectures <laughs> on YouTube, you know, for yeah. like, because I, I like watching them. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, like, so the French, for example, like, it's a very normal thing. It's on television. Like they have salons, they have these philosophical dialogues mm -hmm. and it's expected that people will really strongly disagree, but they'll also be very able to articulate their arguments. These are very intelligent people. Yeah. And they're very well reasoned. They have the rationale for what they believe and what they think. Um, and like, and people watch that and that's, you know, that's a, that's a form of entertainment also kind of education all at the same time. The United States doesn't do that. I don't know that we ever, ever really have. Yeah. One time you could say probably like, you know, early 2000s, even 1990s, even go back to 1970s. There was a such thing as, you know, talk shows and yeah. having people on that were kind of crazy or oh, let's just hear what they had to say. And it wasn't their city to make fun of them. It was just sort of to hear them. And all right, well, that guy, he's kind of out there. And then they get off the stage, whatever. But in, you know, I'd say in the last, you know, probably 20, 15 years, probably say, I'd say since Obama got, when, when he got elected in 2008, the social conversation, you know, day to day, month to month, year to year, like I said, it just went off a cliff. Yeah, you know, everything is now filtered down to the lowest lowest common denominator of points. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's, and it's not even really, I don't even know if you could call it even like, you know, it's not, it's not truly debate. You know, it's just, it's argument. Right. We're, not, we're not having debate. Well, let's just argue. Right. Let's not even just argue. Let's just yell at each other. Right. Let's just, let's just share pundit op opinions. Right. Everything's sound bites. There's no real thinking at the end of it. Right. Um, has politics always been that way? Yeah, probably, probably. Oh, you, there, look, you look at some of the founding fathers and the campaigns they ran against each other. Yeah, it oh, makes recent campaigns look like nothing. Yeah, it's very vicious. Like you have an illegitimate child. You yeah. have you did this. I mean, it's yeah, you're, you're like we're going to go do a duel. I mean, it's crazy yeah. shit. But people have lost sight of that. That's not a new yeah. thing. The, yeah. the thing that has changed though is like they were still intellectual men. You know, if you were to hear them speak and you know just hear what they what they write, speeches they gave, um, you know, even though own personal letters, they were very educated. They were. 
you know, people today, like you listen to even people in 1950s, 1960s. Mm-hmm. You know, the average person on the street talking compared to now. Uh, yeah, go watch an old time movie. The, the, the level of the, the sophistication of language that we use today is is I mean I even know you could say kindergarten level compared to 20, 30, yeah. 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, like, well, there, there was an economy of words that people had in expressing a point that was that was very efficient. And today, there's a lot more fluff, a lot more empty words, taking forever to get around. But there was there was something about it that I you know that's why we like and get such a nostalgic nostalgic feeling by watching these movies. I, I want to come to something here. Yeah. yeah I think America, we're kind of the pioneers of avant-garde everything. If, if, if it's new and if it's different, we embrace it, even if it's not actually superior to what came before it. So you look at like, you know, Monet and Van Gogh and like some of the great artists, you know, these are truly like in, in just incredibly talented people that were doing, I guess, doing things that no one else had ever done, doing things. But then you look at today, it's like anything that's new, we're just going to embrace it for the novelty of it. So the novelty seems like it's um, overtaken something that actually has skill and, and, and in my view, it should have more merit. I think America is kind of on the forefront of that. I mean, this is the fallacy of progressivism. Is something different better because it's different or is mm-hmm. it just different? Exactly. Is it inferior because it's made, been made different? Um, I mean, that's sort of a philosophy into itself, yeah, which, I mean, you could sort of trace that back to like, you know, mid-century postmodernism. Which you know, some po- some of the postmodernists were like there was there was some good philosophical work that came out of that. Um, yeah, you know, but at the same time, like what does that turn into today? It's turned into like what we call like now like the woke mindset, where it's just mm-hmm. this destructive attitude of everything that happened before whatever two thousand eight sucked, right? Because racism, white men, something just insert right. a bunch of words, right? And we need to we need to make it we need to remake it. The conversation we're having right now is just a normal conversation, not too long ago. And today, it's like, oh my gosh, these guys are talking. I mean, this is basic for us. Like, we get it. But, and, and I, something I realized too is that I'm somewhat generationally disconnected. Like, I'm 38 years old. And so I'm kind of a zennial. Like, I have a little bit, I, I'd say a pretty good amount of Gen X, but also a millennial. Yeah. And I'm generationally. And so, you know, I interact with people that are in their, you know, teens or in their early to mid 20s. And I realize, holy shit, I don't really understand the reality these young people are living through. And I don't think I want to understand it. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? But um, the world that they live in, the environment is so very different than what we experienced. And, it, you know, I, it's going to be an entirely different world. Like, what are these people? Like, what are their priorities? What are their values? You know, what kind of lives do they want to lead? It, it's, um, I, I, I'm a little, it's kind of harrowing. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's, but at the same time, I also don't believe in, bashing on the younger generations because they're just a context of their environment as well. And so like, how hard do we want to be on them? Because the, you know, the same things have been said about us, right? I mean, people forget this. Like if you go back like to the late 1980s, like Gen X, there was lots of books on Gen X and you mm-hmm. know, like all the, all the problems Gen X was going to have, Yeah, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Um, well, they remember the grunge movement was awful. I mean, like, I remember the grunge movie. I remember watching MTV with, you know, Soundgarden and Nirvana and Pearl Jam and STP. And, like, the music videos were pretty freaking hardcore. And I'm sure that the older generations were repulsed by this shit. And now we go watch and we're like, well, that's so much better than the stuff that we no, see now. now, right? Yeah. Now, there's a book by Robert Bly. Um, he's, like... I, I don't even know what kind of writer you call him. He's sort of like an... He was a early... Like, very early forerunner from 1980s of 
like what we now call the Manosphere Movement. He wrote a book mm -hmm. called Iron John. He wrote a book called The Sibling Society. Um, he wrote, uh, there's a few books he wrote that I've read. But uh, like there was a sort of a masculinity movement in the 1980s. It's like get men back to like their really yeah like yeah. yeah so this is completely forgotten about today but 1980s early 1990s there was this masculinity movement and it was it was very sensitive it was like sort of university educated professors and it was like we need to get men back to like the sacred masculine you know, make up poetry it sounds like David Data in the way of the superior man kind of kind of it, it, it was much more mushy than that I, wow I, okay I, Data yeah. I, I think that book's actually a very good book I read it and I I got something out of it yeah it's I think every I've recommended the book a lot and every guy I've, I've ever told to read it they they get something useful from it. Yeah. It kind of explores that sort of like metaphysical side of like being a man in the world. The mechanical masculinity movement, if that was the correct term for it, late 1980s, it was, it was this very mushy. Um, but there are some like formative texts that come from that, like a king, king Magician, Warrior Lover. Um, you know, like we're a very well-known book, kind of the male spear, about like the four archetypes of like the, the male mind. But anyway, but Robert Bly, he wrote this book in like 1986 called The Sibling Society. And it was kind of just bitching about Gen X, mm -hmm. a lot of it. Where it's it's very it's it's very similar today. He's like you know Gen X. It's like these kids are into ugly music. Like they like they like ugly music. They dress ugly. Like they're not social. Like they're they're cynical and detached. And you know like the reason for this is because like their parents didn't raise them right. And he does make this good point, which I think has become more valid over time, is that as the U.S. has gone through its period of decadence and people have gotten less mature. And, you know, there's been a decline of his Holy intellectual Holy shit, tradition. you're right. You're hitting on yeah, the, yeah. So, like, he made yes. a point probably 20 yeah. years ahead of his time where, like, we have kids basically, like, raising kids. Yeah. yeah like, that, that was basically his point. Like, we have kids yeah. raising kids, and that henceforth, the kids that we're raising, they're not very mature because we're not very mature. And why are we not mature? Because the way we think about shit is just, we're just not that smart. Like, right. we're, not, we're not serious people. Like, I'm, I'm simplifying a lot, obviously. No, no. But you, it was you, a good book. Like, it was a good book. And it's like, you know, like he, he makes some valid points here. Mm -hmm. um, it reminded me of uh, Alan Bloom's book, which I think The Closing of the American Mind, which is also like the early 1980s, late, late 1980s, where he was making a similar point at that time where he's like the intellectual, intel the intellectual tradition, intellectual thinking of the students that I'm working with right now, they're very close-minded. They don't, they're not educated to really think. They think this purely like in words and sound bites and statements. They're not really interested in exploring anything in depth. And they have these presuppositions about the world which feel very concrete to them. And like, where do these things come from? Like they're very like liberal ideas. Right. You know, like the kind of, he was like pointing out sort of like these early, um, you know, again, like what we call woke thinking day was like these kids, like they have these ideas, like everything has to be equal. It's like, like, what does that mean? It's just a thing that you say, like right. okay, equal meaning what? Okay. You're, you're hitting on something really, really good here is how, you know, what I see happening a lot now is, you know, you give people these historical references, books, things they need to go take a look at. And instead of being intellectually curious and saying, okay, I'm going to look into that and then I'll get back to you. It's like, actually, this isn't even relevant. Why even investigate it? Why even look into it? They can only see what's right in front of them is, is what I've noticed, you know, happening quite a bit. And um, that's, a, that's a, a group of people in a population that can be easily controlled. Very easy. I mean, this is kind of the... the, the yeah, one of the. I mean, I'm 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 bitching about Zoomers now, but this is I see this, <laughs> I see this with young kids especially yeah. where because they've grown up with social media and they live in this continuous present all the time where mm -hmm. I my phone somewhere it's like they on, on the phone on the phone constantly refreshing the phone yeah. whatever the social media apps are you always seeing like what's next what's next what's next they do not they, their their psycho social cognitive conceptualization of the world at large 
they do not think of anything as being on a continuum. So nothing has a beginning and middle and end. Yes. There is no history. There is only the present and what immediately comes next. And it's a very emotional way to think and operate. You know, it's like you're not thinking ahead. Right. You're not thinking you know, behind you. You're not looking to the past. You're not considering tradition. Um, you know, or even you know any kind of sort of. Like I mean, it sounds effect. like a drug drug addict needing a fix. Yeah, literally. So like, so they have. So that's how they operate day to day, and henceforth, like their ability to research subjects. Like the idea of telling like a nineteen year old kid, like, oh, go research it. They have no idea how to even ask a question. Right. How do I research something? Well, you look it up, and like, well, what would I look up? Okay. Well, you have to formulate a question about it. Like, how did this thing start? Who started it? Like, what are its origins? Mm-hmm. Like, what are the major principles that like make this thing what it is? Oh, I know this because I interact with them a lot now right. on social media because they're getting older and they're, you know, they got. And these are guys that look to you yeah, as, young like, guy, as a yeah, mentor and yeah. someone that they can look up to. And so you're having to not only provide them with something that like they get a better physique, they can learn about crypto, but like these very basic foundational principles. I mean, it's like, it's sort of like classic Greek education. Like, okay, we're going to teach you grammar and we're going to teach you logic. We're going to teach you like a writer. We're basically going to teach you how to think and we're going to teach you how to speak mm-hmm. so we can teach you how to think critically and if we can teach you how to express yourself well because your ability to think is downstream of manifest of how you think mm-hmm. speaking cannot be separated from thinking so if you can think clearly and speak clearly like you should be able to navigate the world and learn what you need to learn do what you need to do and hopefully you will thrive or you know do well right if you cannot think well and you cannot speak well you are going to struggle mm-hmm and I, that's what I see the most. And that's the, that's the feedback kind of I get, like the subtext of the feedback where I have these younger kids that follow me now, you know, both you know, guys and girls. I'm like, wow, you, like, you, like you speak really well. Like I love, I love listening to you because it's the way you say things. Like I've never heard, heard anyone say anything like that. Or I'll read your posts. Like no one on Instagram like makes like these kinds of posts where like they're like in-depth and like detailed and like you're you know, like basically like, a logical argument. Like, you know, you're making a rationale for something like like that's cool. Like it's it's nice to hear. I'm like like Jesus Christ. Like you guys. You didn't sign up for being no. This, I, I did this, this kind of a leader. This, I did not plan on the, being this. Right. Right. No. You think about it. I mean, you're 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 like the number one person in some of these people's lives. They're not getting something, you know, at home or in the education system, and you're this hero of somebody that's unabashed in his views, providing value for others. You you have many many different diverse interests, and you're fucking doing something about it. And so that's kind of a heroic quality. And it just makes you wonder, though, like, we want to help you. Yeah. I'm here for you. Yeah, like, but at like, the same time, like, wow, this isn't necessarily what I, I never thought I'd be in this position. No, I mean, I, this is, yeah, like I said, this is not what I signed up for, right? Like, <laughs> I, I didn't intend to like, have this be my life's work. Yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I, I recognize this even 10 years ago when I first, before I ever knew what the man experience of that was, like, this, like, early 2010s. Right. This is, and this is more from, like, the dating scene where I felt like, okay, there's, there's a certain gap that exists between men and women that I could pick mm-hmm. up on. It seemed like, you know, the, the, because having female clients, having, you know, women as clients, the things that they, can, they would complain about with men and, like, the things that men would complain about with women, I'm like, there's, there's a rift here. Right. It seems, like it, it seems like it is getting wider over time. You know, the, these, these complaints that these women have about men really not being masculine, being wishy-washy, not being decisive. Like, that was, that was happening 10 years ago. You know, it's not like a new thing that just suddenly came up overnight, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, like something, something's gone off here with, like, the way that we think about ourselves. Um, but, you know, at that time, I wasn't thinking so much, like, oh, education failed us. It was more so just, like, you know, maybe our parents and our role models, you know, failed us. Right. Uh, you know, maybe the media that we grew up with gave us certain ideas. 
Yeah. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, like for these young kids, like your your parents kind of failed you. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, your school failed you. Your parents failed you. Like you don't have any good role models. No. You don't. No, and, th- and that's the thing. I, I, and, and you're, I, but you're looking for them. Maybe you're finding them, but there's no one that's really present in your day to day life that you look to and it's like, wow, I want to, I want to imitate and be like that person. Like it, you're just sort of like a drift of like, I don't want to be like anybody. And right. nobody knows what they want to be. And they're all confused about being in the first place. Am I a boy or a girl? Right. You know, like, what are my feelings? Am I supposed to be, you know, mentally ill? Like, it, it, it's insane to me now how normalized being mentally ill has become. Or like, it's, you know, if you're normal... It's, it's praised. Yeah, if you're heterosexual and, like, mentally healthy, it's like, oh, what? that's that's weird. Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't have traumas. Yeah, and I've seen this, you know, this path, like, I call it pathologization of everything. This trend, and I don't know if it came from Tumblr or like wherever the hell it came from. Right. I know it started online. But I've seen this take over like young minds of like everything is a problem. Everything hurts you. It's this you know, very, it's this worldview of basically like infinite suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, and it is actually like genuinely, whether they realize it or not, it's actually kind of nihilistic. It's like, you know, you know, life sucks. It hurts. Everyone's out <laughs> to get you. Everything's a microaggression on some level. Right. Like, I don't know how you operate day to day thinking that way like, well, but think about some of these celebrities today i mean you, you look at somebody like billy eilish who's phenomenally successful but you feel like she's in like just total pain and suffering yeah and she's got all the money and fame in the world and everybody and so many people look to her but it, it, this is a person that's in pain this is a person that has some kind of trauma and i i've actually encountered people like this that um they never had any, like I had some bad, I had some tough things ha- happen growing up and you had to overcome them and the world doesn't necessarily care. You've got to get past it and become something, make something of yourself. But what I've noticed is people, um, you know, they, they, they get kind of stuck and then they, they create their own traumas. Mm-hmm. They drum it up and it's like, wait a second, what happened to you? Did you lose a parent? Did you like, you know, did you have some kind of illness, disease or whatever? Anxiety. But there's just kind of this deep seated pain that mm-hmm. they're carrying with them. And there's so many other people that are validating it in everyday life. And it's like, oh, yeah, go cut off all your hair and, you know, dye your hair pink and do, do these things that are not going to help you at all. But, again, I, I've seen it happen so many times with younger people. And um, I'm glad that, you know, there's people out there like you that are offering a counter to that and giving them some kind of, you know, positive masculinity to look up to. And I also think about some of the younger guys. They have – some of them have great fathers – in yeah. terms of like the father is a good provider mm-hmm. and he's present and you know there's there's some real positive material there but in terms of you know bucking the system standing your ground if you got if, if you're confronted with a real opponent or a real enemy do something about it th- there is something that's lacking there and i can't fully put my finger on it there's a level of adaptiveness needed for the modern world that the older generations don't have because they grew up in a relatively stable society. Mm-hmm. I've seen society change from, yeah, you know, my dad being, you know, is he a boomer, working for a company? There's a four hundred one k, retirement package, pension. Do these it, things ex- are they gonna? They don't exist for those things. Don't really exist for anymore. us. Yeah, yeah. If, if they do, they're on a much more limited basis. I mean, but at the same time, the nature of work has changed. You know, companies right. have changed. How people are hired has changed. Did you see this whenever you went down this road? Hmm. Because because I think about it now, like you know, someone like myself that's you know starting to put you know views out there, work for a company, was an entrepreneur, needed to be conscious of your you know your public profile. What do you say on social media? 
But now I think that that old world, I, I really can't go back into it. Like I've got to go boldly into the future because that's not going to be available for me. But it took me a little longer to figure that out. And it seems like you were able to kind of read the tea leaves and see into the future and where things might be headed and take that step out there and put yourself out there and try it out. Um, I mean, did, did, did you kind of understand like that this might be yeah, I mean, I, like I'm, you're not going to be able to go back? You don't want to go back? I, I would attribute to this. Growing up, I saw my father like he, he's a very dedicated man, very hard worker, worked for companies, worked for, you know, like worked for other people. Like mm -hmm. you know, he never owned a business himself. And that was most of my family. You know, so I saw people. It's like, OK, like I'm going to go to a job and, you know, my life's work is going to be, you know, obviously someone else's idea. Cliched, uh, but true. And I saw how thankless that can turn out for people. You know, people yes. are considered exposable, disposable. You know, employees are expendable. Um, you know, unless you own something yourself, like yes. you're not fully in control of your time. And probably a lot of my motivation for wanting to be, in, be in quotes, an entrepreneur or just work for myself was I just didn't want to answer to anyone else. Yeah. I wanted ownership over you know, my own time in my life. That's what I wanted. And then at the same time, seeing like, a, you know, especially like post-recession, seeing how people were laid off, seeing, you know, sort of the, you know, the economic you know, uh, recession, depression hit. You know, we're so, talking like 2008, yeah, it was like 2008, seeing people yeah, yeah. lose their homes, you know, yeah. seeing like the massive mm -hmm. layoffs that happened at the time, corporate world, where, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, downsizing has been going on a long, long time. You know, um, you know it's not, that's not a new thing. Either. No, it's not. Yeah, but I, yeah. I remember like that, there, that was one of those waves in the corporate world, you know, like post-2007, like, all right, well, you know, profits are down, revenue's down, everything's down. And you're fired, and you're fired, and you're fired. You know, the whole department's laid off. It's like, right. oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, so I, I saw it happening yeah. to people. I saw it happening to friends' parents. I'm like, I, I don't want that to be my life. I don't ever want to be in that position. I had no idea what an entrepreneur was, though. I had no idea that you could work for yourself. Like, I was not exposed to that kind of thinking. So that was a very steep learning curve over, like, the past decade of, like, how do you work for yourself and, you know, create value in the world? Um, how, was, how did you figure it out? Did you have, like, you know, mentors or a specific person or is it just a school of hard knocks and trying, failing, trying the next thing? How did you navigate that? So I'm going to say this first. Money isn't real. Okay. Money's not real. So there's a sort of the classical idea about money, like the, the average person's idea of like, how does money work? It's like, oh, well, you make money by doing work and someone pays you. It's like, okay, well, who paid that person? Uh, you know, it's like, oh, wait, that's a, that's a step of understanding that I don't have. Well, okay, so if my employer paid me, well, they're paying me because someone paid them for what you know, I'm helping them sell. Okay, well, where, where did the money come from? Well, the mo okay, let's just go, the money got printed by the Federal Reserve. Well, where does that come from? How, how does the Federal Reserve print money? How do you make money? Well, the money is printed based on this predication that the economy will keep growing. Basically, it had the national debt, and so we'll never actually go bankrupt. And, uh, and that's where the money came from. Well, what, that still doesn't explain what money is, right? And then when you really like, and then when you really get into the nitty gritty of it, money is a very philosophical idea. Money is basically a mutually agreed upon social meme that this thing, this object, or this coin, or this shell, or this paper dollar, this represents a certain quantity of work slash value slash labor. It's multiple things at once, and we are going to use it as a way to communicate with each other through basically a non-emotional as objective as we can make it, make it, medium of exchange. You know, so money is an idea. It's like, okay, well, how, how do we trade stuff? Like, well, how do I know that my 10 pieces of wood are more worth more than your 15 pieces of, you know, stone? 
Um, well, okay, I could try to like make this be equal to that. It's like, okay, well, we kind of need a middleman to like help us decide this. Right. We have this thing called money. So we're, I'm going to say this is worth 10 coins, and you're going to say it's worth 10 coins. And, like, we've, we've agreed. Okay, like this actually like makes it, it takes out our emotions. They're not going to fight with each other, you know. So I think in a way, like money is almost like like it's a mimetic idea to like remove the possibility of violence mm -hmm. from interaction that's you know economy driven. Um, so this is money then. Well, what's what's going to be the money? Well, we just need to pick something. You know, and it it works out well if something is rare. You know, if we you know make it, let's let's use something that's kind of hard to get because we don't want people making up money and then like oh shit now we've lost control of the money supply. It has to be something where by way of it being hard to extract, that way we can measure it and control it, and we have, you know, we have this, you know, this level of uh, maneuverability and manipulation over the system that we're making. So, like, that's kind of what money is. Money is a medium of exchange. It's a mutually agreed upon idea. Anything can be made into a unit of money, but money, if I, the money itself, it exists as an idea. It's something that's physically tangible, representing something that's either rather intangible, and to define it in verbal terms, like you're kind of you're you're playing word games. Mm -hmm. Like you said, we can keep going with this. Well, what, what's you know, how's a dollar worth one dollar? Like what makes it worth one? Like you, you can go on this for fucking hours. Right. You know mm -hmm. that, that this is this is why I realize about money. I'm like money's not actually real. You can't dig it out of the ground. You can't go find it on a tree. You can't grow it. We just go about the world at large and we make things and create things and we create ideas and we bring it into being. It's like all right, well, what's this worth? Put a fuck. I don't know. Put a price tag on it. It's like a luxury vehicle. Why is this car worth one point six million? Is it because the materials cost that amount? No. It's because there's a, well, there's prestige and this is a luxury vehicle and the company's X amount of years old. And like, mm -hmm. how, how does that have a dollar value assigned to it? So how you're applying numbers, you know, if we, you know, our numbers even tangible, you're applying, you know, number, we assume that numbers are logical, non-subjective, you know, basically as, as true as they can, as true as anything can be, numbers are true. So we're going to take numbers, you know, these, symbols of truth and we're going to apply them to these subjective ideas and things we make and somehow it makes sense it all runs it does it's fucking incredible and then we have things like N nfts yeah like, how like, the fuck know, is that ape worth three hundred thousand that break people's brains I, I, it is it is <laughs> goddammit. it so why do i say money is not real you know to kind of answer the question because i realize when i realize that, like money is really not based on anything concrete it's just an idea and then when you look at people who are billionaires or people who are ultra successful where they have these ideas and they bring them into being, I realize, okay, if you have ideas, if you have knowledge, you can create infinite money. You can make all the money you want. There's nothing stopping you. If you only think of money as a medium of exchange for I did labor, now pay me for the labor that I did, you're always going to be poor. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is kind of like, this is rich dad, poor dad idea. Like it's yeah, an employee think, mindset. Yeah, and, but people like to attach it to material objects. And then they benchmark themselves and what other people are doing to get those things. And so like, you've really connected the dots in a way that I haven't really heard that quite, you know, for, for me, I look at, you know, currency as a transfer of energy relating to a perception of value, right? Yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, it's similar. I yeah, mean, it's, money, it's is, this, money is a form of energy. It's, 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 it's a form of energy. Yeah. And it's being transferred. And so when it, people get, you know, they want to piss on like SHIB or whatever, you know, meme coin. Listen, there are people out there that see value in this and are willing to take the currency, the money they've acquired, and put that energy into this, and other people see the same thing. And I, it, it is a confounding thought. And with crypto, I think it's really changed how a lot of us think about money. Um, and yes, it, has. I, it, it has for me. Like, what is money? Like, this is the definitional, like, this, this is the question, the existential question. 
And I think you've done a really good way of describing it. And I think it's also liberating. I, mean, you... I think your definition is probably better than mine. Mine was a, so many goddamn words. No, like, but no. no I, like I, money is energy. Like, yeah. okay, like energy is being exchanged. Well, what's, what could be energy? Mm -hmm. It could be work. It could, it could be all the things we talked about. There's so yeah. different ways energy can be, you know, but it's But it's liberating, right? Yeah. But, you know, once you, when you realize that, it's like, okay, like, so how much energy do I have in me? Fucking infinite. <laughs> right. If there's no, there's no cap on that. Right. <laughs> there's no market cap. And that's one of the things, you know, that people have to think about is how am I going to create and generate energy? Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I know that you think about. I mean, Th that's, that's, how I, that's how I think about making money. It's like, okay, if I need to make money, I need to make more money. I'm like, all right, what are some good ideas that I might have which could be useful to the world? Like, let's, let's, let's sit and think. Like, yeah. you know, I, I, like thinking is energy creation. Let's sit and think, clearly. Um, and, you know, and since I've... Since I've evolved into that mindset, making money has been very easy. Mm -hmm. yeah, and it's, it's actually, it's come like a, it does become like a game. It's like, okay, like, I've, this business is going well. Like, how much more can I make? Like, how, how can I grow this now? Mm -hmm. And then it makes you realize, like, why people in certain, you know, successful positions where they have very large businesses, it's like, yeah, it becomes fun. You know, it can become very competitive as well. Like, you want to constantly outdo yourself. There's always, there's, there's always another level. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of what crypto is, mm -hmm. you know, on a certain level. You know, you have people where they've, yeah, aside from this idea of like, okay, it's a blockchain, it's this decentralized network, it's distributed across all these different computers. Okay, well, it's, it's a medium of exchange. It's a medium of trust. Mm -hmm. And again, it gets very philosophical. Like, you know, why is Bitcoin Bitcoin? Well, it's an immutable blockchain. Uh, we have, you know, a limited supply. Well, what makes it valuable? Well, it's, it's valuable because we all agree that it's valuable. Because Absolutely. we're all going to communicate with it, yes. through it. That's why. You know, how you, you know, there's always the argument, like, it's just on a computer. It's like, how is that, anything's like, how is your dollar worth fucking anything? Right. How is, how is any currency, like, I had, I had a guy make that argument to me, actually, kind of the, he said, you know, I couldn't, and this guy is so fucking smart. This guy is well in the nine figures. Yeah, and he's, and, he, and, yeah. and he's going to hit, he's going to hit 10. I mean, like, there's no question about it. But I remember you know, talking about cryptocurrency and people that are in the legacy system can get really, like, you wrinkle their feathers. Oh, yeah. That. And he said, why do we need Bitcoin? He said, everything's already on the blockchain. All the dollars, everything right now is already on a decentralized ledger. And I was thinking, no, that's not true. I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I understand that there is a ledger of account. I get it. Yeah, of course. But it's not the exists. same thing. But at the same time, you know, I look at where I'm at. And I look at where you are at. And I'm not going to get into We're not going to get into the semantics mm -hmm. of it, you know, in terms of really getting the specificity. But it's... Um, no, it's an interesting... Listen, let's take a little break. Yeah. Let's get a refill. We come back, and we're going to talk cool. about some some hot Twitter topics. We'll be right back. Awesome. All right. Base Brotherhood is back with Ajak, and we're going to take the conversation we're having outside and just carry it on because we're talking about fighting. <laughs> you know, and there's, cool. been, and there's been a lot of shit on Twitter recently about people wanting to fight each other, and uh, it ended kind of quickly <laughs> with one with one of your good friend Andrew Tate. Uh, uh, the, the, the issue was fixed. The they issue fix, was they fixed. fixed. The issue. Which has become one of the great memes, right? <laughs> that became a meme so fast. I think I've seen it with Biden saying the, the issue has been fixed, you know, talking about Ukraine. I mean, so it's, it's, making, it, it's making the rounds. But uh, uh. one of the things I don't think, I don't know if people know this about you, but 
you're a trained fighter and, I, and you're in your I, I have trained to fight yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll be i'll be having a series of amateur fights you know starting in march um yeah i mean that, that happened like it happened two years ago i guess at this point almost two years ago when uh during during covid i was traveling abroad ended up in thailand in march of 2020 and you know thailand has muay thai mm-hmm. and uh you know, thais they, i mean they had like a bit of a lockdown so it wasn't like a normal training environment but i was able to train with sagat for about six months he's a great golden age champion from 1980s i uh, came back and i've, I've basically just kept up the habit since so yeah, it's it was a late thing to get into. Like I'm 32 now, so like I started training basically when I was I guess 31. Um, you know, if I could have done this 10 years ago, I would, yeah, I should have started at 21, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's been hugely fucking rewarding. Yeah, it, it's it's given me actually almost not a new lease on life. It's given me a renewed, renewed energy and vigor towards life since I was getting actually really bored at the end, of like 2019, going to 2020. This business was going well, and you know, I was working out, lifting weights, mm-hmm. uh, but uh. It, you know, physically, there just wasn't anything, you know, really challenging I was doing. I had stopped dancing, like, right around 2019. See, I too many recurrent injuries from it. Uh, and I was, just kind of, I was just kind of bored. I'm like, yeah, I had to go. Which I, I don't think a lot of people understand how, you know, vigorous, you know, dancing can be. Ballet is hard on the body. Yeah. Yeah, I never had the, the flexibility for it. I did not have the structure for it. I see, I'm not, like, a small guy. You know, obviously, I'm over six feet. I'm usually you know, over 200 pounds, typically. Um, you know, most male ballet dancers are like, let's say like they're 5'10", like 165, 170. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for an athlete, I'm mobile flexible. For a dancer, I'm not at all. So, I mean, I had, you know, like an, I had an Achilles injury, an MCL tear. You know, oh, damn. You know, patellar tendonitis in like my knee. Um, you know, there's a lot of just like sort of hip pain, back pain from it. Uh, so, you know, you, you have the athletic background. You had the strength training background. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would think that's going to really well prepare you for doing fighting. Um, is, is, is it something where you can be a naturally good athlete and have that kind of that kind of background and go into fighting and be at a pretty decent level to start with? Or is it something to where Look, you know, mean, pe- people that are like, you know, fighting when they're, you know, 21 and have that kind of training? Because I think you're a damn good athlete, you know, I'm sure. So is it? You know, how long is it? Like, where do you think you stand right now in terms of like Muay Thai? Are you uh, like ability? To, yeah, well, I would consider myself like a like an advanced beginner to sort of intermediate. Um, yeah, I had a conversation with a uh, with John Fitch actually a few years really? ago. Really? Okay. At, at twenty one convention. Yeah, John's a super cool guy. Yeah, I I grew up watching him in the UFC. Tough sob. Yeah, great fighter. I've seen he's a champion in uh, you know, multiple organizations. I think. I know for Bellator, I think, or for fightingly he was. But uh, anyway, so, you know, John, very, you know, his accomplishments, you know, go without saying. But you know, somehow the conversation turned to combat sports. I think Ed Lattimore was there as well. And they just, they just got talking, you know. Like they're mm-hmm. both, they were both, you know, professional athletes that way. And John said something to the effect of how you know, lots of guys talk about, oh, I'd love to do MMA. Or, like, I think I could have been a fighter. You know, like Dude, maybe, how many times do we hear people talk about this? Yeah, and that, you say, like, hey, look, listen, go to the gym. Stop telling me about it. Like you think you can fight? Go to the freaking gym and measure yourself, right? This, this is a, I'm pretty sure this is a Tate quote. I'm pretty sure he understood it. But like every every man overestimates his fighting ability by four thousand percent. And Tate actually had said the same thing in a conversation I had with him, where yeah, guys find out like, oh, like you're you know, he's, he's a professional kickboxer, right? You know, multiple mm-hmm. time champion. Oh, that's yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I I I, I think I could have been a fighter. At least something along those lines of like I could I could have somehow done what you did. Like, but I didn't because I don't know. I just, I just circumstances. Didn't, I, I didn't feel I didn't feel like you know actually being a champion or actually you know fighting professionally. So I didn't. 
And it, it, he's telling me, he's like, if you had any fucking balls to actually fight, you'd already be training and be doing it. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be saying this bullshit to me. Yeah, and John Kai said the same thing. Like, people always talk about, you know, men would always talk about how they, they want to do MA. That'd be so cool. They, they think they could have fought, whatever. It's like, then why aren't you doing it? You know, and his point that he made, you know, to actually be a pro fighter, if you want to, like, actually be pro. Like, be pro level, not being champion, but just be at a level where you could fight professionally in MMA or boxing or, you know, kickboxing, Muay Thai. How long that would take? And his opinion was, he's like, it takes about five years to get good enough where you'd actually be competitive and you could show up and be like, oh, yeah, this guy. You know, this guy's a competitor. You know, this guy, this guy can bang. Take mm. five years. He's like, year one, you're going to suck, but not suck as bad as the, you know. You'll, you'll suck less at the end of year one, the beginning of the year. Year two, like, you might be going from, like, sucking to, like, okay. <laughs> year three, like, maybe you're actually, like, good. You know, like, you've been doing this three years, and, like, you're actually, like, you're kind of good. Like, yeah. okay, shit. Yeah. And then year four, going to year five, like, hey, you know what? You're, you're getting, like, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you could really consider if you haven't competed already, like, you kind of, you could take this somewhere. Yeah. If you want to actually, like, you know, get some dubs, get some wins. So I kind of internalized that. Like, okay, it's going to take me five years to get to, like, a pro level doing this. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's, let's, let's do that. So we're at, like, going into year two, roughly. Okay, so yeah, so, so is this something that it's it's a challenge? You mm-hmm. enjoy the training. You know, I you, love it. You've got some great guys that are behind you that are kind of help, you know, showing you the way a little bit. Uh, where do you want to go with it over the long term? Is it something that you're just, is it, a, you know, just kind of, it's a lark, it's fun, I'm going to do it for a while, it's a challenge, or is it you really want it to become something? I, that might be a difficult question to ask where you are right now, but. No, I, I'm going to, my, my intention is to basically have, get enough amateur experience to, by year five, that would be 2000. If it, assuming my body holds up, which I believe it will, like I feel very physically healthy. So like I've, t- I've, t- I've said this to other people, I think, like in some other interviews I did, it's like, I'm going to go until the wheels fall off. Mm. If I can keep myself physically healthy over the next yeah. five years, then okay, like let's year four or five, like let's 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 have a professional fight. Yeah, because I've seen I've seen what the necessary preparation is and the mindset. Like you you, just, you have to live for it, right? Yeah, let's do that. And I have a lifestyle that affords me the ability to train and you know train full time. So let's do that. You know, in in the in the interior more the time leading up to that, like it's just putting the work every single day. Yeah, like, I mean, fighting has been combat sports have been so fucking physically challenging. Like I, I've kind of written about this in my newsletter of this so many like bad movement habits and you know fascial adaptations i had from ballet and heavy lifting that i've had to really undo mm-hmm. you know from like you know from you know even like things like you know jumping rope you know, like you know, like, you know getting getting good at jump rope like or you know not sucking at it's jump rope. freaking hard yeah you know, jump rope's hard yeah. you know, running you know like okay we're gonna run all the time like that that's difficult but this is the coordination to not gas out in three fucking minutes you know if anyone that trains seriously knows this like because they remember this being in like a told beginner day one all right we're gonna do you know, five rounds of drills, three minute rounds, rest in between. Yeah, I, I, I see people gas out every week. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I need to sit down. Yeah, you know, like it happens all the time, all the fucking time. They've been training you know, 30 minutes in the class. Like you can tell, like they're struggling. Your body's struggling. Your arms are cramping up. You've never held your actual form. You've never, you've never held your hands up for the same period of time in this position. You know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, biceps cramped. Shoulders completely just fucking blown out. You can't actually move your arm physically. Like it won't, like you won't do it. You're just trying just to even hold them up is fucking taxing. Yes. Yeah. So you know, there's there's just so there's this hump to get over. Um, and it makes you, makes you realize like why why do most people not do this? And this is just in training. This I is mean, just in training. When you have the actual anxiety and apprehensiveness that comes with a real fight, that's a whole different level because your body's already being taxed, your energy's already draining, just the anticipation of the conflict that's to come. 
Yeah. So you see people that are, you know, they're already they're being put through the ringer. Do a lot of those people drop out or they stick around? What do, what do you, what's your experience like? I mean, you know, combat sports, like they're fun to watch, but do they, you know, how appealing are they to do? I mean, lots of people like to do them for exercise, mm -hmm. but to do them like with serious intent, you're going to have to spar eventually. Maybe you'll have, you know, some smoker fights, some amateur fights. Like you're going to get hit in the head probably hard at some point. You're going to get hit in the body hard. You know, for Muay Thai, you're going to get kicked in the leg really fucking hard. It's going to hurt. <laughs> Dude, those leg kicks are insane. Yeah, you know, like you might, if you get kicked hard enough, you're probably going to hit the floor because your leg's dead. Yeah. You know? Um, or you get kicked in the body and, you know, same thing can happen. Yeah. You get dropped in the body kick and your liver just explode on itself. It's like, and then it's like, why am I doing this? You know, like, this is, this, this is how I'm like, I'm going to spend my time. I mean, this is why fight gyms, like you very, you quickly distinguish within a few months of like, who's showing up and is actually like serious training, just, just in training, like who's serious mm -hmm. and then who's doing it for exercise. How do you, how do you gauge that? Cause you know, I, I think about my, I have a younger brother mm -hmm. who's a, the guy is just built like you wouldn't believe. It's like, you know, 6'1", 235. And, you know, just a physically, you know, he's a beast of a guy. Yeah. He trained with Team Quest up in Portland. Cool. Yeah. And so he was training with um, Kale Sonnen was up there. Mm -hmm. Occasionally you have Dan Henderson. I think this might have been after Matt Linlin was there. Yeah. Um, I don't think Randy Couture was around as much. He had moved. But um, some r incredible fighters. And a lot of guys whose, you know, names that I don't, you know, I, I would mention and not a lot of people would know, but are incredible specimens and had great careers. And he really enjoyed the training and the grappling and the wrestling, but getting hit in the face was something different. And you got to be, and I, I personally, like, I mean, who wants to get hit in the face? That yeah, takes that... something, right? I mean, to be able to withstand, like another guy puts his weight behind a punch and he's physically capable and hits you to withstand that and keep coming back. That's a different kind of bird, dude. That's a different cat that can handle that. Hey, this is not a new thing, obviously. But everyone that fights seriously, that trains seriously, like you have to kind of be masochistic. Yeah. Because like, I don't care who you are, how good your defense is. At some point, you're going to get popped. You enjoy the pain and the suffering. Yeah, I, I like it. Like, I actually like it. Like, that, I, that appeals to me more even more so than even like the competition part of it. Just like, I don't mind getting beat up. Like, it doesn't bother me. It's like, well, I just, I just whatever, whether it's a kick or a punch or some guys, just, he's just working you good that day. It's like, fucking all right. Yeah. You know I, mean? it, it, I, I, I enjoy it. Like, I have a high pain tolerance. It turns something on in me. Like, I get into it. Some got most, I think most normal people, they probably get discouraged or like, you know, probably your brain's like, this is not healthy to, to do this. Right. Like, stop doing this. Right. Um, and, that, and that was always my vision is, you know, I, I thought, okay. I've got a decent brain, I, I think I do, and I'm going to go in there against guys that are, you know, doormen, you know, bartenders, guys that are like, this is, the, the, everything they're doing on the outside world funnels into this, mm -hmm. and this is how they want to make it in the, in the world, and they're killers, and you've got to go up against guys like that, and I was like, you know, it sounds like a good idea, it might be fun, but the reality of it is something entirely different. And, you know, kudos to anybody that can step into that arena every single day and, you know, take that kind of punishment and they just endure on. It, it is a different kind of person that can handle it. Yeah, it is. I mean, this, this is why I think historically like wrestling was you know, more of like the, the foundation of athletics versus like boxing. Mm -hmm. So if you go back to like ancient Greek times, I, I did a whole actually guide on this like two years ago, which is really fascinating researching. But the foundation of ancient Greek athleticism in terms of the overall training for athletes was wrestling. It was running, wrestling, and then they had some ball sports, which we could, we could get into later. But like, if you have to focus on the wrestling, like the wrestling was foundation. 
And you know, like why wrestling? Because you know, wrestling is obviously super competitive. It makes you very tough, but you're not getting knocked out mm-hmm. wrestling. And it also can, and down, also can you know, different out. body types. You know, wrestling is a good foundation, but it's all different kinds of, like someone like myself should be good at wrestling. Um, but everybody should be good at wrestling, right? I mean, it really, I, I, I get it. Because most fights, um, you know, and we're probably going to end up on the ground or, you know, people locked up, right? That, and it's just, it's a very, like, I'd say it's, it's very primal, I'd argue. Like, all, mm-hmm. all animals wrestle. All terrestrial right. mammals wrestle. Cats wrestle, dogs wrestle, you know, lions wrestle, whatever. Just pick an animal, like, it wrestles. Yes. As a baby, like, they'll wrestle with each other. That's a great point. Like, it's just, it's just, it's like, Bears, so it's lions, in our nature tigers, to grapple dogs. with each other that way. Yeah, I mean, And absolutely. you can train that. Yeah. And it's, it's a fantastic exercise. It strengthens the body. Um, and, yeah, that has carryover transference to, you know, almost everything that's sort of an athletic endeavor, classically. Um, you know, boxing, striking, yeah, now you're getting into you know, a, a more injurious zone of competition. Correct. 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 I want to I want you know, to pivot just a little bit. Yeah. It's something that you've talked about a lot on Twitter that I absolutely love because I don't hear a lot of other people talking about it. And that is the super athletes, mm-hmm. you know, because there's this conception that, you know, everything, you know, people, you know, spend 10,000 hours doing something and attain some level of mastery. But I've encountered people that are just incredible athletes. And maybe they, you know, in their youth, they had spent a ton of time doing something, but they can take these long layoffs, not necessarily train for something, and they can just show up and be better than anybody else. And people don't really understand that. They don't want to acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. And you've seen those kind of people as well, right? Mm-hmm. Human beings are not created equal. You know, it's just the, it's the reality of it. Like, you know, how's it even a controversial thing to say? Legitimate elite athletes, freak athletes, super level athletes, their rate of adaptive response, both neurologically, physiologically, cognitively, to exercise, to sports, to competition, is, you know, if I was to attach a number to it, you're talking maybe, you know, two, three, five, you know, 10x faster than the average person. Mm. So you can take a, you can take a, like a freak athlete, you could have them lift weights once a week. Like once a week, let's say you have to do like a workout, total body workout. We're talking Bo Jackson. Yeah, once a week, let's yeah. say you have them lift weights. And, their muscle growth will be you know, like almost off the charts. Like every, every week they'll be being strong. Every week they'll be being a muscle. Within a few months, they've gained 20, 30 pounds of lean mass. You know, in a year, you're like, what, what the hell? What the hell? Right. Um, you know, or you can have them you know, do, you know, just play a sport, any sport. You know, it could be baseball, you know, basketball, you know, football, it's whatever, pick something. They do it for a year, and they are ahead of 99% of the field. It's like, wow, this person, like, and they, they, like, you can see like, you know, D1 pro-level potential. It's like, oh, this is very obvious. Uh, and you can have someone else that you know works their ass off, mm-hmm. and they will never be within you know fifty, sixty percent of the other person's performance. This won't happen. You know, I, I've worked with elite athletes, and one of the I've, I've talked about this before on Twitter, but like one of the fallacies of elite athletes is this idea that they're doing crazy fucking workouts, the yes. craziest workouts you've ever seen. Right? They must be doing extreme secret. Well, because that sells too. Yeah, people like, want to. Cool, right? People want to hear that. Yeah, the NFL workout, like crazy workouts, and like no. Yeah, at the highest level, like it, I've seen this in the NFL, yeah, like there's a lot of guys they don't even want to lift weights because it, it's boring. They're already naturally strong and naturally explosive. That just playing the sport itself gives them everything they need for pro level performance. So having to go into the gym, be like, all right, we're gonna lift guys. Like, oh man, I don't want to do this, coach. But they do it because you know, like they're contractually obligated to. Well, it makes me think about guys like Reggie White. 
I mean, Reggie White was, you know, defensive end for uh, the Packers, and who was he with? Eagles. Mm -hmm. And he was just one of these people that could physically dominate anybody without really needing to do anything. I mean, he was just a physical specimen of likes, which we you very, very rarely see. Think about Bo Jackson, mm -hmm. somebody that could run a, you know, 4'2", 4'3", bench press 400 pounds without having to lift weights, and he could hit a 100-mile-an-hour baseball and hit it out of the park, you know, 500 feet. Somebody that had an arm that could, you know, throw 350 feet to home plate, and it wasn't a strain for him. It wasn't hard for him. It wasn't something he had to go rehearse over and over and over again. No. And it's rare when you see something like that. But something also is I, I've, there's also, I think, under-realized under talent is the norm in many sports, too, where you have these incredibly talented athletes that maybe just they totally, you know, want to skate by on their own, you know, skill. And they don't put in enough, and it can, it can catch up with them. It can shorten their careers. They don't achieve as much as they. Josh Hamilton for the Rangers was a guy like this that was a basically a heroin addict and fell out of the league. And he came back in his mid twenties, hadn't played for like six, seven years. Guy had been in like rehab or whatever and struggling with who knows what. And he becomes like MVP of of the American League, but it didn't last long. Yeah. And he was around for a few years, and he eventually kind of fell back. You know, he was, you know hitting the bottle hard and carousing and he didn't last very long, but there, it, it is interesting when you see people like that and you think, what could they have accomplished if they really put everything into it? Yeah. You know, there's this, uh, there, there's sort of like these divisions of ability where like, so yeah, let's say like at level one, like level one of human ability, you have people who are like are physically average and they don't work hard. Like, and that's, mm -hmm. that's like the average person that just doesn't, you know, they're not an athlete. Right. Right. And then, yeah, and then if you get into sports, you have like, okay, then sports, it's like, okay, like uh, yeah, this is like at the, the kid age, like mm -hmm. obviously physical talent's real, but it's like, well, who, who's working hard? And then also like who has like actual physical talent? So you have like the hard workers and you have the talented kids and they're not always the same kids. Sometimes the hard workers will, will outpace the talented kids. But as you get higher up and like you go from, let's say like PE level and the high school level, and especially in the collegiate level, everyone at that point's probably somewhat physically talented. You know, and then there's like levels of talent. Are they supreme god gifted level of like you know physical talent or is it just like above average mm -hmm. then once you get to the pro level though then you get it's like okay these guys all work hard and they're all physically elite gifted mm -hmm. and you know and maybe maybe there's a few of them that are actually kind of lazy in comparison to how hard most of them work but it's their talent still enough to actually allow them to like you know be competitive so then you have guys like you know like tracy mcgrady in basketball you know, supremely mm -hmm. you know, yeah. gifted in terms of his playing ability, but was kind of known for being lazy in terms of actual practice skill. He just he didn't he didn't like to he didn't like to practice that hard. Apparently, like right. he just wanted to play the game, and like that was good enough for him. And you know, maybe kind of show up in this go through the motions. But then you guys you have guys like you know, like Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know, super gifted, super focused, super driven. You know, they're they're practicing six eight hours a day. This is literally their whole life. All they do, they're fucking psychos. It's like. You're not going to beat that guy unless you are on that level of also yes. being a supremely gifted psycho. Like you, you can't, you can't imitate them. You have to just be your own version of sort of that, that like Ubermensch Ultraman. Right. Um, yeah. You know, this is why, yeah, like, sometimes I've, I've talked about this in various forums, but like trying to imitate the routines of like psychotic people, you know, successful psychos. <laughs> right. It, it's pointless. Like you're not yeah. them because they, they had a, they have a mission. They have a goal. This is like the Masoyama. You know the. The founder of, like, you know, uh, Kaokushin Karate, who went into the mountains twice for, like, a year and a half. Supposedly, he's fucking punching rocks. He's hammer he's fucking tarting his fists on tree trunks. 
He's doing, you know, God knows how many fucking push-ups a day, you know, thousands of squats. He's running up fucking hills. All this crazy shit, right? Because he has this vision in his mind of being like this, this fighting God, and he's going to come back and show everybody the power of his karate. Like, that's fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. His routine, like, unless I literally want to be like that, but there's nothing to copy. Right. You're either a psycho and you're super obsessed and you're going to do this three or four hours a day, or you're not. Right. Yeah. So which one are you? Pick one. And those are the greatest of all time. Yeah, those, those, the, yeah, those are the greatest of all time. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually made, made me think about Tim Duncan. So, you know, I, I uh, he was raised in San Antonio. And Tim Duncan was, you know, the big fundamentals, what Shaq mm. called him. And so Tim was, you know, a great mid-range shooter, incredible around the basket, great touch, a guy's seven foot one, and made all these, and people thought, okay, this looks rehearsed. This looks like this guy spent all this time. And then I remember somebody that was inside the Spurs organization said that he put the least amount of effort into like practice than anybody else. It was, sure, did he, did he work hard when he was younger? I'm, but it was just natural ability was a lot of it. Yeah. And his body was able to hold up. And he was, you know, you know, he was a finesse guy and he knew kind of knew how to avoid getting like banged around and taking hard contact. And it was just it, it's a wiring thing, right? It's a wiring thing. It's up here. And a lot of people don't understand that because, again, as in America, we want to we want to be told uh, we want the hard scrabble story. Yeah, I mean, it's anybody can do it. It's not untrue. Like, I mean, this is one of those conversations where like, well, this is discouraging. So you're saying like I could work really hard and I might never succeed. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. But the, we, we like to believe that if we just work hard, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean, that like we'll we'll have success. To a, to a level, you will have success. Like hard work, dedication, consistency, it will take to a certain level. But once you've hit that threshold where hard work, consistency is no longer the deciding factor, then talent is coming into play. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that I try to encourage people with is that what you want to do in life, you know, if you're, especially if you're a young person, you want to find what you are talented at. Correct. And then that's what you apply your work ethic to. Applying work ethic to an area of, let's just say, like low talent, neutral talent, negative talent, something you're like, well, you're not actually even really good at this, but like, well, I love it. I don't would, do this. this, this <laughs> don't, don't do don't, it. Don't waste time <laughs> no. doing this. Yeah. Don't waste time doing this. It's not worth it. Um, like it's, it's, it's a misplaced, it's, it's misplaced energy. Wait, so you mean like follow your passion is not what people should do? <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just, I made like this big long post yeah. about this actually since a bunch of kids requested it where it's like, that's, that's always been my problem. Like passion mythology of like, okay, like what does it mean to be passionate? Pa- passionate defined as general enthusiasm, motivation. So it means to be enthusiastic and motivated and you know, love what you do. Okay. Yeah. How, how is that a concrete comprehensive you know, career plan plan for life? Why are you assessing all of your actions and all of your interests and all of your explorations by how motivated you are for it? You know, within the like within the moment. This goes back to kind of what we said earlier about Zoomers, where their whole life whole life exists in like this continuing unfolding present. You know, all that matters is the moment now. What I'm feeling now. I happen to past, future. Now. No, it's all about now. How do I feel right now? Mm-hmm. You have no ability to think long term if that's how you operate. Like none. Mm-hmm. You know, relying on this romantic myth that I can only do something and I can only, something is only my purpose if it feels good all the time. Once I find that feel good thing and I never have to do real work again, I'll never work a day in my life. I hate that fucking phrase. Right. You know, if you find your passion, never work a day in your life, you're bullshit. Okay. If you find, if you find your passion, well now like I have all the answers. It's just, it's this very simplistic, like Disney model of thinking. That's, 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 you know, and, and, me being like, you know, no, I mean, you know, you know, old, but like, that's not how life works. No, but I think you're, what you're telling people is 
again, it kind of comes back to the we're chosen more than we choose. And what you need to do is be curious, try a number of things out, take some risk, test yourself and find out what are you good at. I think Mike Rowe, the guy that does dirty jobs, talks about this too. I mean, the whole idea of like following your passion is ridiculous. Find a skill, find something you can do, and you take joy in that. You take pride in that. I mean, it's okay. I mean, maybe you want to, maybe you need to work with your hands. Maybe so. People, I think a lot of times they're becoming way too easily relegated to a certain thing that they're not very good at, but everybody else is doing it so we can fail and be, you know, mediocre together. Yeah. I mean, or this is the other issue with passion is let's say like you, you do something, it's like, then it becomes difficult and it's like, then it becomes discouraging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's like, well, if I'm passionate about it, then I should never be discouraged. Like, you know how many times I've been fucking discouraged this past two years? Well, let's talk many about times. That. Yeah, many like, fucking times. You know, there's, and that's the whole thing too. It's not like you know you are where you are because it's been this linear path of continuous progression. There's had to be many times you're like, "What am I doing? Why am I? Why I mean, is this really going to pay off?" I'm I, I, I've said this before about fitness. Fitness is fucking boring, <laughs> and I've made a career out of it. But it's fucking boring. Yeah, I find it very interesting. Do I, am I, I've, I've, said, I've not, this is not the first time I said this at all. Yeah. I, I have never been passionate about being a personal trainer. I've never been passionate about having a fitness career. I chose fitness because I got a dance performance and choreography degree in college, which is a fucking worthless degree. <laughs> it's good for nothing. Yeah. And I realized that like halfway through and I wanted to drop out. My parents were like, no, you can't drop out because yeah. you know, you like, you have to finish it. I was like, fuck. Okay. Are they the reason why you finished? Oh yeah. Like had they, had they not. You know, like I didn't want to disappoint them that way. I'm like, yeah. no, I'm dropping. I mean, I didn't know what the fuck else to do. Right. I realized I had no real job skills. Probably yeah. still don't. <laughs> so I was like, I was in college. Coming yeah. to the end of college, I'm like, I have no real job skills. I'm not good at anything. My degree is like literally has negative value. The only thing I could think of that paid more, the only job I could think of that paid more than minimum wage was personal training. Mm -hmm. And I did like to work out. I like being in the gym. I'm like, this seems cool. I don't want to ever do anything like it. Were people asking setting. you for advice before you got in it? Like before you were a personal trainer, they're saying like, Hey, what yeah. do you do? How do you, you know, like, yeah, you look I, weights. Like, what do you, yeah. No, I, people, I, I, people have always asked me for advices about things because they think I know things for some godforsaken reason. I don't know why. Well, they're then like, you got to actually figure out, yeah, you, well, you got to learn some things. When people right? ask you for advice, you usually find like, I think, you know, normal, normal or not. Like when someone asks you like, Hey, what do you think? Like you probably want to give a good answer. That'd be helpful. Right. Right. Yeah, I think that's normal. So I, I'd always, somehow growing up, I've been this person where people would come to me like asking questions like, what do you think? I'm like, fuck, let me think about this. Oh, hopefully, hopefully I'm going to tell you something that's not going to fuck you up. You know, I guess. <laughs> so I'm going to try to think, I'm like, I, I think that you should do this and whatever the hell. Um, so that was always the theme, right? That's funny. Yeah, I would, yeah. I'd, I'd, you know, again, I didn't think about that 15 years ago. I'm like, oh, that's going to be my, my life goal for my... Yeah. Anyway, but so I, I'm in college. I'm like, I have no job skills. My degree is useless. I'm like, personal training, you can get certified in like a weekend. It pays like $15 an hour to start, which at the time, 2009, California was yeah. above minimum wage. I'm like, yeah. I, I can't think of anything else to do. So I'm just going to do this. And fuck, you know, like maybe I'll, I'll do something else at some point. And then after like a year of doing it, I'm like, God, I'm so fucking sick of this. But I was kind of good at it. Like I actually was right. very good at teaching. Right. Um, as I found out. And then, you know, so you're one and like, I wanted to quit and then, but I didn't. I was like, oh, I'll, fuck, I'll keep going. I'm like, I've kind of gotten good. Year two, I kind of got promoted like a few times. Like, you know, like this is kind of working out. Like I'm kind of enjoying this. Yeah. By the time I got to the end of year three, I was like, fuck, I'm sick of this again. But like, I already spent three years doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, it seems like stupid to quit something when you actually have skill at it. Right. 
and then that this that theme has repeated itself every single year. Year four, I'm sick of this. Year five, fuck this. Year six, fuck. I'm like, like it just it never goes away. Yeah. But once I got to year seven, eight, because at that point I was like in my mid twenties, later twenties. I'm like, you've been, you know, you're 27. Like you've literally done only this. Like what the fuck else are you gonna do at this point? Right. You're gonna learn a new skill that you're gonna spend seven years on. Then you'll be 34. Like just keep going with it. And then also at that by that time I had seen how you know, the online fitness industry had blown up, you know, people, you know, personal branding was becoming this thing. I'm like, I think I can turn this into something that, you know, transcends just being, you know, the hourly day-to-day trainer, which it worked out. Oh, um, it, it, it obviously did. How did you, so how did you kind of get into the manosphere? Which I mean, I, the term manosphere is, is polarizing to some yeah. because it continues to evolve and there's a lot of, um, I don't know if I want to say unscrupulous characters, but people that maybe you really don't want to be associated with and they they, they play the same notes over and over again but it's, it's, like, you kinda, it's all weirdos yeah th- there are because like for, for me i i've you know i remember tom lycus i don't remember tom lycus the shock jock on the radio in southern cal i remember living yeah. in like 2007 and 8 and he would come on the radio in the afternoon and like a lot of the things and i'm not going to mention names mm-hmm. but people that are very well known that have written books and that talk about this all the time they have um taken Tom Likas's teachings and made it more palatable and commercialized it for the masses. I can believe that. Or for the, let's just say the set, the, the niche that, that, yeah. that, that, that we're in. Um, but they were really taking the teachings from Tom Likas. He was a great shock jock and, um, you know, they've, they're out there kind of hustling his ideas to be honest with mm-hmm. you. But, um, how did you kind of work your way through that? Because I would say now you've, I wouldn't really call you a manosphere guy. I would say you're a guy that kind of touched it and dabbled in it, and you've got some associations there, people. But that's not really where you're at right it, now. It was fun to talk about, like, sort of my, you know, my takes on like masculine, feminine, you know, dynamics, as I call it, like, you know, like how men and women get along, what makes a man, man, woman, woman. Like that's interesting stuff. And then that got like very repetitive, and it just I kind of moved on from it. Like it, it wasn't interesting anymore. I mean, how I found it was very accidental. Like I, I that's why we say like it found me. I didn't know that it existed until about like late 2016, whereas mm. I was on Twitter and like there's a segment of guys that are referencing like the red pill, like, oh, red pill, red pill. I'm like, what, what's, what's the red pill? Right. Yeah, like this is, this has now become like a mainstream term. Like, oh, you've been right. red pill. And like, by the way, the, and it's kind of changed again. Yeah. I mean, in terms of the connotations. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's changed multiple times. So like, yeah. so the red pill referred to, um, yeah, I mean, I guess what did it even refer to? So the red pill referred to sort of this like body of manosphere content that was a combination of like pickup artistry and sort of like you know brutal truths about women and dating and sex and it was there was like a few guys who were like they were like they're the founders of it so to speak or foundational there was like uh there's a yeah, role tomasi obviously there was i want to say krauser i think was the guy's name mm-hmm. i think there's a guy named rosi who had a blog oh i remember him there was a guy yeah. named hartiste who had a blog and then I found this stuff. So I was this like 2016, 2017. I was like, I'd never seen it before. I had heard of PUAs before, but I, I, I right. never had. Yeah, that was not. Remember, I, there was like the, there was a reality show with a guy like. Mystery yeah, I, I'd heard of it. Like Neil Strauss wrote like, the pickup artistry. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh yeah, those, yeah. those guys. But like, I never had dived into it really. Right. Um, so I found this stuff. I was like, oh, this is look at this interesting shit. So I read a lot of it, and I was like, this is like this is cool. And like it's it was those it's like those things. Like yeah, like this is. Most of the, like, it's truish, like a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, cool, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, but I, then I realized, like, there's this whole community of guys that, like, had really built their lives around it. And, man, at that point in time, like, I hadn't, I hadn't struggled with women the way that, you know, obviously a, a lot of men seem to. Like, I 
I'm attractive guy. I like women like me. I like women. It was not, it was not this existential. It was not the existential right. struggle of my life. Which, by the way, it is for a lot of these people. Yeah, for a lot. Yeah, for a lot of them. It is. Like, like I mean, okay. they live in this world of of consumerism. Like that, that's that's their biggest pain point. Okay. Yeah. So then, as I encountered more of it, I realized that guys had really like built their identity around this. Like this has been mm-hmm. life changing fucking information for them. Whereas yes. I found it was like, yeah, this is, yeah, that that seems right. Like yeah, right. it was just, it was kind of like cool, interesting. Right. Yeah. You know, for a lot of them, it was like this changed my life. Like I was blue pilled, now I'm red pilled, and yeah, it, it's legitimate. A lot of guys have, a lot of men have, very misleading or false or just nonsensical ideas about women about themselves about how they interact with the opposite sex about how they think of you know being a man um yeah you could, you could definitely could call it blue pill like there's there's two versions of reality for them that's not you know it's not a bad way to frame it uh, but that's that's how i found it and then you know, as it happened like that was kind of the manosphere was sort of coalescing of like people coming together for the first time to you know to, to meet in person to talk publicly you know, Anthony Johnson has been apparently been doing these conferences conferences since 2010, 2011. A long time. A long time. I was like, yeah. oh shit! Like I had no fucking idea. Uh, but like he was kind of like raised by this stuff. It's like, and like he'd seen it change over the years from being just how to get girls, get laid, to now it's like you know how to be a man, how to have a family, how to be a father. Like it's it's evolved. Obviously, as guys have gotten older. So that, that was kind of my intro to it, and like it's like it's it's changed with time, like you said. You know, the brands kind of become somewhat toxic Toxic now. Mm-hmm. You know, like, Manosphere was, like, super uncool in 2019, 2020. Now, like, male improvement's gone, like, very mainstreamed. Like, I'm seeing, like, I'm seeing, like, you know, like, liberal kind of, like, blue check accounts. Like, get into this idea of, like, here's how to be a better man. It's like, oh, okay. Like, that that's interesting. Um, cool. <laughs> like, good for them. Like, I'm not, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not, like, cool. Like, let's, let's be better men. All right. Um but yeah, just the term always sounds kind of dumb. It's like like manosphere. Like, what does that mean? It's just at this point, it's right. refers to this general online collective, social collective of, of guys trying to get better at right. you know dot dot dot. Like, insert the blank. Right, right, right. So one of the things I want to add, I think you did a good job of, of, of summing that up. Um, one of the things I want to talk about that I've seen happen on Twitter quite a bit is you're in a photograph with somebody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talk, you know, the Roman McClay, I forget his other name, mm-hmm. you know, but Roman McClay was his, the name that he went by. And, you know, he, he kind of, you know, entered this manosphere um, or self-improvement, whatever you want to call it, a few years ago. And he had some people that embraced him. And, you know, I mean, recently the guy, you know, gets involved in a shootout. He gets killed. He killed a few people. He killed a few like people. Five people, I think. Yeah. yeah. And so now, because you knew the guy somewhat and took a picture yeah. with him. You somehow knew things that nobody else did, and y'all are great buddies. <sighs> yeah, and, the, yeah, that <laughs> right. I mean, it's 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 insane to me because I've seen this happen to other friends, mm-hmm. um, who, who I won't mention, but are you know, you know having to clean up somebody else's mess. And you probably know who I'm talking about right mm-hmm. now, but we're gonna not mention that right now. No, I, I, and, and, and 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 it and it's really it's bullshit. It's a shame, mm-hmm. and people should have the un- they should understand what this is. And, and the thing that I like about you know, this corner of Twitter is there are a lot of people that are, you know, they're open. They're an open book. They accept DMs. They'll meet with you. They'll talk with you mm-hmm. if you're a decent guy. But it's not like you can know everything about a person and you want to, like, you have to extensively qualify them. You know, you, you know, them. okay, cool, dude. I'll help you out. I'll pitch your book. I'll yeah. write you a nice tweet or whatever. 
it, but it, it, it's it, I don't I don't really care for it, but it's a problem because mm-hmm. people just circulate these pictures, and I'm sure you don't give a shit. You're used to it at this no, point. No, I mean that was a really good photo that was taken of us. <laughs> was taken. Like yeah, like I mean this yeah this yeah. is I mean, what, what what happened. Like I remember when you know when obviously I forget it actually his real name. Like when when McClay went on the spree shooting, and like I was alerted to it by some people. Like Roman did this. Is like there's no way. Yeah, like and I'd only I'd only admit that guy that you know, I met him that one time in Denver. Mm-hmm. Like that was the only real life conversation we ever had. I was like, he wouldn't do that, and then it turned out, like, no, he he did do that. Like, obviously, he did. Um, like, yeah, like, what do you make of that? Like, I, you know, so like the situation was like I met him one time in Denver. Like, I'm not making apologies. I'm, I'm not gonna do apologetics for it. Like, oh, do you condemn what he did? Like, n- no, bro. I think it was cool. Like, why he would fuck, you, he fucking killed five people? Like, why should you even be put in that position? Yeah, like, like I mean, I'm not asking you, you this, but like, like, what do you want me to say? Like, I, of course, I there, there's this become this trend now, the past ten years, where, like you have to, you know, anytime you're associated with somebody that did something bad, like well, you have to, you have to, you need to condemn what they did. You need to disavow them. Like. I, I'm not doing that because that's fucking insane. Right. This is this is somebody that I met one time that I would consider a good acquaintanceship. Mm-hmm. And I promote his book because his book was cool, the first volume anyway. I didn't read right. the other two. Apparently the other two were kind of predictors. Off the of deep his, end. Yeah. yeah, apparently they were. I didn't I only read the first one. He had a cool book. He he was really into like Nassim Taleb and all these sort of like alternative, you know. Oh yeah, we'll talk about that guy in a minute. No, but, he was yeah. all, he was into all these kind of like alternative philosophers and like cutting edge guys and like, you know, the really cool subjects. I, I remember having a conversation with him when you know when I met him, he's like, Wow, this guy's really well educated, very, like very literate. I was like, This is cool. Like I'm, yeah, then I I showed up to an event in Denver with him. Or I showed up to an event in, in Denver with Ivan Throne, who's now off Twitter, he got kicked off. It was an Ivan Throne like feast dinner that he had. McClay showed up at the very end, like we didn't know he was coming. Like, oh wow, it's Roman McClay. We had a conversation for an hour and a half. We we took a picture, and like we took the picture. Right, that's it. The picture's gonna live in infamy for forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, did I have any insight then, in 2019? That oh yeah, I can tell you this guy in 2022 is gonna go on a spree killing. Fuck well, no. Well, but listen, there, I mean, there's, you know, Rolo Tomasi was retweeting it and, and he was saying, oh, people have to explain this and playing that. I'm thinking, why? Go fuck yourself. Why would anybody? Yeah, exactly. I mean, why? Go why, fuck yourself. Why should anybody have to explain this bullshit? And that's ridiculous. I mean, that's blue pill. Yeah, that's I, fucking not, blue pill when you do something like that. I'm not going to say it's communist since it goes, beyond, it goes beyond communism. But when you start playing this game of, of guilt, like you said, like guilt by association where you're responsible for the actions of someone else. And not only are you responsible for them, but, but you are implicated in the cause. Of, you are implicated as a causative agent in those actions. Yes. So here, so this is someone you know, they did something bad. What did you do to make them do that? Fucking excuse me? Right. That's not how the law works. That's not, that's not, how, that's not how reasonable and objective and moral men think. Right. If you do something bad, you, you know, I'm speaking hypothetically, you do something bad. Mm-hmm. I don't look at him and go, what did you do to contribute to this? This is right. your fault. It's now, not, I, now it's, I, it's, it's nonsensical. Now, I, now I'm, I'm putting myself in the position where I'm the arbiter of both justice and I have godly powers to know cause. So not only do I know that you did something evil, I can see and elucidate that you were a contributor to this evil. How do you know that? Like, I, how, I see it. I know it. The, the fuck you know anything? Yeah, exactly. That's well, not how evil operates, and that, that's not how people do bad things. Evil, op, evil people are operating in plain sight. And anybody that's had an encounter with, with someone like this understands, like, 
people can hide things. And, and, and you're a pretty perceptive guy. I think I'm a pretty perceptive guy. I've been fooled. I've been tricked sometimes over a period of years. And you go back and you think, God damn, what, what the hell happened? Like, how could I? But, you'll ever see, I, I had to review that entire conversation that we had. Was there anything then, when the, when the, like the one time I, you know, when I met him, we sat down, was there anything then it was like, you know, gave me pause. I'm like, oh, fuck, man, this guy's up deep. Like, no. He was extremely personable, very amiable. He was very quiet. He was just happy to be there. He was happy people were reading his book. Right. Yeah, like, that was the impression I got. If I say anything, I'm like, what, what, a, like, what, a, what a cool like, guy. Like, he clearly has a lot of depth. He has stories. He was just happy that people were reading his book that he assumed no one would read. Right. That was it. Like, that was it. Then, you know, fast forward three years. He's dead. People are dead. And like, you, you know, someone that knew him, like you're trying to make sense of it. And it's a very, like I'll say, right. Like I'll say right now, like it's a very fucked up, strange, singular experience to try to, you know, apply some order in your head of like, I knew a guy that was a serial killer. How are you supposed to think about that? I don't know. Like, I don't have a good answer for that. Well, I mean, look, people are incomprehensible and, in some, and they're unknowable in, in some cases. Like there's just no way, no matter how perceptive you may be. And, um, again, it, it's just something that I've seen happen. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. And, but at the same time, how much time do you want to spend? Like we're sitting here talking about it now and we'll put this out there, but I don't blame, I mean, how much time do you want to spend explaining this shit? Because anybody should understand it. I mean, I, I don't mind, but it's just, yeah, it's, yeah. But I mean, being put in the position of like, you know, well, you were, you were guilty of something. Yeah, like I said, like, that's just a go fuck yourself situation. I'm like, right. You're not God. You don't know why, you don't know why he did those things. Like nobody's going to know truly the reason, like, you know, why, why did this person murder a bunch of people? Right. Why, why was this person abusive? Why was this person a pedophile? Yeah. You know, there's something in human beings that can set them off. Maybe it's evil. They can snap. Maybe it's yeah. made. Maybe they snap. Maybe they lose it. You can't predict that. Like there's no way to predict that. None. And then assigning blame to other people outside the situation, like now you're just you're being malicious, you know, on purpose because you know you have some agenda, well, you know, of your own of that you want no. to put these people into a bad light. Well, it's very low, and it says something about that their character. Whenever that's how they want to characterize that kind of situation, own. it absolutely yeah. does. It does. So, you know, speaking of that, we'll talk a little bit about um, one of our favorite characters, which yeah. is Nicholas Nassim Taleb. No. Who's a guy that I I held in high regard? You know, my wife is like, Taleb's a genius. He's one of the smartest people in the world. I mean, no, he's a guy that's a, a true polymath. I mean, he's made money in options trading. He's a New York Times bestseller, sold millions of copies of his books, The Black Swan. I mean, Anti Fragile, which I bought and I've got mm -hmm. sitting in a in a box somewhere in storage. And uh, you know, just, he's he's really he's he's a brilliant brilliant guy. There's no yeah. questioning that. Um, you know, the deadlifting with his Vibram five finger shoes on, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he's, he's a quirky guy, but I get it. I yeah. like it, but something has happened to him. <laughs> something has happened to him. You know, he blocked me and I, I and I don't even think I was in any kind of direct response. I think yeah. someone might've responded to him and I liked it. And then all of a sudden I was blocked and I was thinking, wait a second, this man is, is, is incredibly successful, you know, financially, um, in terms of fame and respect and prestige and he is blocking people on Twitter that are challenging him, opposing him, or liking tweets mm -hmm. that do that. How small can you possibly be? And I honestly, I felt a little, I felt kind of sorry. I'm like, God, how could you, mm -hmm. you're living in a prison of your own mind, someone that brilliant. And, you know, recently, and so, so he's really lost credibility in this sphere. Not that it matters that yeah. much, but 
He has. Mm-hmm. It's, it's been a real strike against him for the way he's conducted himself on Twitter the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it seems like it just gets worse and worse. Like just one thing after the other. And, um, you know, you recently had something happen with him. Tell us, tell us what well, happened. A spate. Yeah. So, I mean, let's, let's wind the clock back two years. And so, I mean, I'll, I'll preface with this. Taleb had blocked me, I think, two years ago at least when uh, – so he had like a, a Twitter beef with, with Claire Oh, Lemon. but he's still keeping tabs on you. Okay. Yeah, he so, blocked you, but he still wants to know. Yeah, I know, right? So, no, so he, so he yeah. blocked me two years ago. Yeah. So, and I th- that was not because of any tr- confrontation we had on Twitter. So he had a, a beef with Claire Lehman of like Colette. You know, so like that online magazine. Right. I, I like Claire. She's cool. I, we don't, there's probably things you don't agree on, obviously, but like she's yeah. cool. Um, and I think the, the argument between the two of them was something about IQ being real or not. And it just turned into like this multi-day like battle on twitter right <laughs> dude the, whatever whatever that means the iq battles are yeah it's interesting uh, yeah, but uh it's, it's a race to the bottom yeah so but. like they, they were arguing about that and this is one of the idiosyncrasies of genius there is a very fine line between being a genius with a following and between being an idol with a cult people who are at that level of intelligence and i'm not at all like, I, I fucking know I'm not. Like, Taleb is, a, like you said, a gin and polymath. Yeah. Probably three or four standard deviations IQ above norm. You know, this has a multi, you know, clearly has a multitude of subjects, you know, both written and language? verbal and I mean, this is a guy, this is a guy that knows Syriac. Yeah, he, I mean, was, he, knows, he knows dead he's languages. Himself dead, like, he's taught himself dead languages. Yeah. He has a supreme understanding of mathematics, you know, you know to a level that even for someone that is you know, necessarily, you know, maybe they're smart, they still don't get it. Like he's in a, he's in rare air in that regard. Yeah. Incredible. Those kinds of people, if they do have that linguistic ability, that verbal ability, and they, you know, they, they sound good. They sound smart. How could they not? They're going to have followers. Mm-hmm. They're going to be, want to be emulated and imitated by people. That's just the game. And that can turn to a cult very quickly because, you know, there's no one like the guy that I follow. Who, he is so smart. So this and all these things. And I saw this on Twitter, you know, yeah, it was over two years ago where it's like, yeah, Taleb has kind of like a cult following. Everything he says is amazing. Yes, Everything he does. says is kind of, it's like sort of the word of God. Yes, it, it is, is the word. Yeah. And people just, they just mentally get off on it. And I, I, the fanboying that way, I'm like, this is just so fucking dumb. Like, <laughs> he's just to me, like everyone at the end of the yeah. day is a man and you will die and you will be in the ground, you know, or, you know, burned up into the air. Like you're, you're just, you're a man, you're a mortal being. Um, and I think it, it, the, why he blocked me, I don't actually know. I know I had, I had liked some tweets where someone was commenting to him, like, you know, like your cult following is like, you know, out of control. Like these are basically just everyone just sucks your dick every day. Right. You know, it's like, that's funny. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, yeah. Taleb said something. And like, yeah. now I'm smarter for it. Please give me your cock, you know, so I can show my gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's fucking funny. Yeah. And I think, I think that's what it was. And then yeah. I, I was like blocked. I was like, and we were previously following each other. It's like, all right, whatever. Like I, oh, he followed you. Well, that's, yeah, no, yeah. he gives a follow. Yeah, yeah. We followed each other mutually. Yeah. I was like, you know what? Whatever. I'm like, I, I don't get upset when but, people but, block people because I block people. But like, he, might, he might've been thinking that was a betrayal. I don't, whatever you saying. Like, I, don't, I, I know. I don't know. I don't, I'm saying this, this is really like, this is, we're getting like, it's a minutiae. It's there are people that are that sensitive. Maybe, maybe I'm like I, I mean I, this is the thing I block people all the time because I get annoyed like hair trigger. I'm like, right. fuck, this is a stupid comment block. I'm I like, mean, if there's a, if there's a clever troll, it's mm-hmm. like ha 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 ha. But when it's a stupid troll, it's like, dude, I don't have time for this. Yeah, shit. it's just like yeah. block. I'm like, I, I don't, yeah, like I don't have time. Like I value my time that way. Like I'm not entitled. You're not entitled to my to my interaction with you. So I was I was upset about. It. I was like, whatever. Like, and then as it happened, you know, recently, the, 
his tweet, it wasn't on my timeline. Someone screenshotted it and I found it. And I'm like, did he really fucking say this? Like, there's no way he said this. And they're like, no, like they, like they sent me the tweet. Like, no, he really said this. I'm like, what? Like I was like, what? I was like, I, I didn't believe it at first. And then, yeah, that's my tweet out. I'm like, this is like, how, like, this is fucking disappointing. Like this mm-hmm. guy is in it being a fucking coward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, why is he a coward? You know, since I, I, I knew what the accusations were, the accusations, like you're a fucking sociopath, you know, uh, what was it? Somebody, uh, courage without virtue is sociopathy. And then, you know, my count, you know, and I said, you know, to bat, you know, in counter argument, like there is no virtue without courage. Since you believe in anything, you must put yourself in the arena to represent it. But anyway, yes. yeah. But like, like wind the clock back two years. Okay. Like, so you're, you're telling you, you've, you're, you're this guy, you're supposedly a billionaire. You've written books on books about how economists are bullshitters and so much of social sciences and people working government are full of shit. And they're rent seekers, the bureaucrats, and administrators, fucking bureaucrats, and yeah. they don't know shit about fuck. And the real, the people that actually know things are the fat Tonys of the world. They're the people on the streets. They're the people that you know, sort of that natural wisdom that comes with experience. <laughs> like those are the people that fucking know things. Yes, they're the skeptics, and they're the rebels. Yeah, you know, and they're the ones that are willing to ask the fucking questions, and they're not going to fall for fucking word games. Yeah, you know, like so, like you write all these books about that. You talk about you know. You know, anti-fragility, you know, being tough and being adaptable, knowing how to survive these uncertain right. situations. You write these books about, you know, black swan events of, you know, these stochastic and ergodic processes. And, you know, things will happen within certain rates of the system. And eventually the whole system, you know, will reveal itself over a period of time. And crazy shit could pop off in these long mm-hmm. fucking tails. All, and people love this shit. They're eating it fucking up. And you got mathematical proofs. Right. Think of and, all the the, the, the the terms that he's coined. Yeah, like it's almost like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost like a, like his own, like neologisms. You know, like he's, you know, they're real words, but he's popularized his own vocabulary that unless you've read his stuff, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. But, but these are concepts right so i read his books i'm like yeah this guy's what a cool fucking guy right mm-hmm. and then you know but prior to all prior to two th- prior to 2020 you know again 2019 before he's talking shit to this politician he's talking shit to this economist he's on he's on twitter every day just basically just you know shit talking everybody you're full of shit and you're full of shit and you know what the fuck you're talking about you know what the fuck you're talking about and this whole system supposedly that i am very you know giving the impression i'm against it's just inhabited by idiots who make bad decisions based on terrible thinking. Like, and that's, that's the impression people kind of have. That's the impression I have of him. Like, this guy, here's a smart guy, and he's actually, like, calling people out. And right. he likes to get into these squabbles. Fuck yeah, cool. Okay. All right, so he got into an argument with Claire. You know what he told me? You know, maybe he didn't like me now because I said, okay, whatever. I don't, I don't care. I don't care. Now we get to COVID. It's 2020. Let's... Put forth a 50-50 hypothetical that maybe this is the worst fucking disease to ever hit humanity. It's a genuine plague. It's going to kill hundreds of millions. Yo, one in four mortality rate. It's coming out of China. Nobody knows anything. Maybe it is that bad. I was open to the idea. Like, yeah, I remember t- you know, tweeting out like in March of that year. Like, I think I thought I thought at the time that masks actually did something. Apparently, they they don't really don't do a whole lot. The evidence is quite weak on them. Very 50-50. I was like, okay, like uh, yeah, maybe this is a real thing. But then it starts to unfold. And it it starts off with, you know, Trump talking about, hey, let's close the borders. No, that's racism. Yeah. (laughs) You know, everything I ever read about fucking infectious diseases and plagues, you usually want to stop people from traveling. But, okay, it's racism. So it then becomes very obvious that the media is, whatever Trump's policies are going to be, racism. Okay. So I'm like, maybe this is kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like you need to go hug Chinese people in Chinatown. This is like Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, like, I remember that. Are, are we really fucking saying this? You know, like, and then like, suppose it came from from China. 
you couldn't you if you said it came from China, you're gonna get banned off social media. I'm like that that's that's really fascinating because literally any other fucking disease of the last fifty years, Ebola, yellow fever, just name shit. The WHO will fucking trace it back to patient zero in like weeks. Mm-hmm. They'll know exactly where it came from geographically. Now we're not supposed to talk about where it came from. Like that's that's racism. Like, okay, this is this is starting to not make a whole lot of fucking sense. Then the lockdowns start. I'm like, this is all right, I'm I'm open to this idea. Maybe this will do something. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does. How long does this go on for? Hey, we don't really fucking know. You know, you realize this is going to flatten out the economy, right? Like, this this is going to cost people their livelihoods, jobs. No one's making any income. I mean, economies don't have an on-off switch. We yeah, can like just you, turn it off, well, turn it back can, on. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, okay, like, how long has this gone for? Oh, we don't fucking know. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I'm, you know, people, I'm like, so not that I had a lot of faith in institutions and government because I was already quite low. I'm like, <laughs> right. now it's like, it's really going to the negative zone. I'm like, yeah. does anyone know anything about anything? Is there any actual, is, are any people actually making reasonable, rational decisions at all? Apparently, at the same time this is happening, Taleb is having a fucking meltdown on Twitter of, we're going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to wear three masks and hide in my house, like, this is the world ending, I'm like, and then, like, you know, people, you know. Which he can afford to do. Yeah, like, retrospectively looking back as I kind of, like, dived into his, you know, Twitter history, I'm like, like, how is he acting the last two years? I'm like, wow, he, he was pretty bitched out, okay. Like, he wasn't very brave. Um, no. So then we go forward, like, into spring, summer, and now we're going to lock down everything. Uh, you can't go outside. If you go to a park, well, you can't go to parks. You can't, you can't actually fucking go anywhere. I'm like, you know, sunlight's naturally antiseptic, right? Like mm-hmm. this, this is, this is, this isn't bro science. This is actual like established science. Like, you know, most viruses and pathogens die under direct sunlight. Well, you can't go out in the sun. You got to wear a mask. You can't go to the park. Right, we're actually going to arrest you if you go to the park. This is actually happening in the U S mm-hmm. states, countries. I'm like yep. this, this, this doesn't make any fucking, not only does this not make sense. This is like now counterintelligence. Like this, this is stupidity, right? You're doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing. So this is happening. And at the same time, is there any talk of, you know, vitamin D levels, health, metabolic disease, because the virus, some people are getting sick and like, we're seeing like, you know, some bad cases, sometimes like, okay. And those, those cases like of long COVID of, you know, like the glass lung, all these things, like as the statistics start to come in, it's like, these are, this is predominantly happening in older people. Yes. And obese populations. Yes. Is there any discussion, has there been any discussion in the last two years of, hey, you know what would really help you to not get sick or to make this less worse? Exercise, mm-hmm. healthy eating, sunlight, mm-hmm. you know, losing weight, zero. None. No, not, not, this has not been said by anybody. I think El Salvador, I think, is like the only country right now that actually <laughs> like did some advertisement of like, hey, yeah. you know what you should do to not get sick? You should be healthy and exercise and eat right. They have the Bitcoin troll yeah, in chief. Bitcoin, yeah, yeah, the Bitcoin you know, president. I'm like, yeah. so the, the, there's, there's zero fucking talk of that. So I'm like, all right, this is now I'm just, now I'm starting to get pissed. I'm like, now I know that like this, these are idiots making decisions. Like this is almost starting to look like stupid on purpose, like almost evil. Like now we're getting to malicious territory. Like yeah. you're, you're making the wrong decisions on purpose. And then we get to summer and it's the great racial reckoning in the United States, George Floyd, tragic death. But now there's people out in the streets and they're protesting and they're twerking on cars saying, fuck Trump. And there's 20, 30, 30, 50,000 people and shit's burning down. I'm like, you know, again, this basic one-on-one understanding of infectious disease, getting people together in large crowds by tens of thousands is usually not a good idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm being really fucking bro right now. Yeah, that's usually yeah. not a good idea. Yeah. Well, it actually it's an oh, it's a great idea because the real epidemic is racism. So 
even though we're living through a pandemic, which is just the worst it's fucking a conditional thing pandemic. to ever happen. There are exceptions. <laughs> there's exceptions. And the exception is that you can go protest as much as you want. And that's actually, that's actually a good thing. Right. You know, like, won't there be outbreaks from that? No. And then, you know, and then a few weeks later, there's like a, like a motorcycle rally in like Nebraska or something. Yeah, and you know, most motorcycle riders apparently like predominantly Caucasian because you know, they are. And you know, like black, blacks on the United States are only 50% of the population. So by default, they're always going to be the minority of anything. Mm-hmm. Right? So there, there's a, there's assembly of motorcycle riders in like Nebraska or some Midwestern state. And then the media is that, well, that's racism. This, this, is, this is racist neo-Nazis getting together and they're going to spread the virus. I'm like, you just had like 50,000 people in the streets like two weeks ago. And you said that like, that was like a good thing. Mm-hmm. But now these guys getting together on bikes is a bad thing. I'm like, again, like, you know, double standards. We can talk about it all day. I'm like, right. I think this is kind of bullshit. Maybe this virus is not as bad as you're saying. And then the photos start coming out of various, just, just name a fucking politician. Are they wearing masks? No. No. Gavin Newsom. Are they, are they doing anything? It's actual precautions, yeah. anything? Fuck no. And this just keeps going on and going on. And then, you know, Trump starts talking about the vaccine. Go back. Again, let's go back in time. Vaccine talk, October, March, 2020. Every fucking blue check on Twitter. Am I going to take the vaccine? Hell no. Trump's dirty, tainted, racism-filled vaccine is probably going to kill people. There's no safety protocols. This is bullshit. Anyone that takes it is an idiot. It's going to kill. Like, you're going to die. Like, I'm never taking that vaccine, ever. Okay. Let's fast forward to January, 2021. If you don't take the vaccine, you're a fucking Nazi lover. You hate women and blacks and you want to kill people. <laughs> I love the vaccine. I will take eight vaccines because I want people to live. I'm like, wow, this, this is a very fast rhetorical change, huh? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's fucking amazing. Okay. Let's talk vaccines. Why were vaccines never typically created for this class of viruses, this couple class of viruses? Well, because the viruses, because of antigen-dependent enhancement, they end up mutating and have the vaccine. There's no way to create a sterile vaccine for this class of viruses. They're always going to be out-adapting it, and you might end up with a more supercharged version of the vaccine. Or, I'm sorry, more supercharged version of the virus. Mm-hmm. It has adapted to the vaccine because there's no way to create a full, as I said, full-spectrum sterile vaccine. So, typically, vaccines not been made for this class of viruses. But we're going to do it in this occasion. Like, okay, but it's not going to provide a complete immunity. And this is, this is said before the vaccines even come into really production or fully release by various people and, you know, basically the medical community, Dr. Malone, Peter McCulloch, uh, mm-hmm. like, hey, you know what? Like, we don't really recommend necessarily doing this. This might turn out badly. It might end up not working eventually. Just fuck those guys. Fuck anyone that says this isn't going to work. You all are probably racist and you, you, you hate science. <laughs> I know you have a PhD in this and your research is in this. And I know you might actually have a fucking Nobel Prize mm-hmm in this field and you actually create the technology to make this vaccine, but you're full of shit. So fuck you. We're going to do it anyway. I'm like, I'm not feeling confident. This is going to work out. People think it will. So we bring this vaccine to production. Are there any side effects? No, never. That's amazing because there's literally no medical treatment in human fucking history. That has zero side effects. None. I can, you can't name anything that has zero side mm-hmm. effects. It doesn't exist, but this apparently has zero side effects. I'm like, wow, that's, that's incredible. It also apparently is a sterile vaccine, and if you get it, you can't get anyone sick, and you're not infective. Okay, like, so we're going to roll up this vaccine. No one's ever going to get COVID again if they get it, and uh, it's great. We solved the problem. Let's go forward in time five months later. You need a third booster to make this vaccine effective. 
if you get the vaccine, it actually lowers your immune system for a month for about four to six weeks. So you're actually more likely to get sick after getting it. There's also maybe kind of some growing body of evidence that getting multiple booster shots might actually permeate depress the immune system. Uh, that might that effect might be permanent, might fuck up your T cells. Uh, you know, your company immune system might be kind of mm-hmm. fucked, but you know what? We're just going to gaslight you. That's on your fucking head. You're racist. If you don't get it and shut the fuck up. <laughs> and then, and then Omnicron comes along. It's yeah. like, Oh, actually all the vaccines that we made don't work for this at all. And actually, if you got vaccinated, you're actually more likely to get it. Wow. That's, 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 that's kind of fucking amazing. So now you have people that have had COVID. Uh, well, they had, they got vaccinated, 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 and they still got it. Oh, Okay, so now we've spent a year producing this shit. Uh, Moderna, and not the name of the drug companies, Moderna, prior to this whole fucking thing, had never brought a drug to the market right. ever, successfully Correct. ever. Uh, the mRNA vaccines, when they tested and were tested in animals in the years prior, all the animals died. Luckily, the humans are still alive. So, I mean, it's, maybe it is a success in that way. But I'm like, <laughs> the, the safety record's not like encouraging me of like, yes, I'm going to get fucking on board with this. Yeah, you know, apparently the fucking half the fucking board at Pfizer the last decade apparently works at the FDA. Pelosi and apparently half people in Congress fucking own stock and they bought those options way before. I'm like, I, I don't really have confidence in anything anyone fucking says. Mm-hmm. Then we also have the uh, abuse of the death statistics. Were people dying from COVID or with COVID? Oh, and also the PCR test that we used for like a year and a half. Uh, you know, it might be inaccurate like 30, 40, 50% of the time. So... We're just going to quietly kind of let it be known that that's not actually good to test that See, way. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's new information. Yeah. The, the, yeah. the fucking, fa- the, the guy's dead now, but the, the scientist that invented the PCR test, he died you know, a number of years ago. He was extremely upset that it got used to test for so many different viruses because it's not really an accurate test much of the time. Um, but, you know, so it got used for like a year and a half. Uh, you know, maybe it was bullshit. Like, well, yeah, how many people were false positives because of the PCR test? Just shut the fuck up. You're racist. You know what you're talking about. You're an anti-vaxxer. You hate science and, and blacks and women and gays probably. Like, fuck you. Just don't, so don't you're not allowed to speak. Don't say anything. It's like, there, I have a lot of questions about a lot of things that, you know, you people have done, yeah. you know, in various positions of power. And I haven't really gotten good answers from any of you. And it seems like most of the things you've done have either been clusterfucks, intentional clusterfucks, unintentional clusterfucks. And you have continuously changed the goalpost of, what is supposed to happen and how you're going to solve this over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. While at the same time, uh, the economy is in a recession. Inflation is at 20 to 30%. Uh, millions of people have lost their fucking jobs. Small businesses have gone under. Mental health issues are uh, probably at all-time high. Uh, we've seen fucking developmental delays in children, you know, which is pretty fucking sad at this point. Uh, we also have the, the advent of alcoholism, prescription drug use. Like We've had a lot of bad things happen society-wide. This has not been good for society. You know, again, I'm, I'm being bro, right? I don't know shit about fuck. I'm just simplifying all these yeah. things. So this has not been good for society. A lot of the decisions you made that have affected human lives at a scale of literal billions have not been good for society. Can we mutually agree on that? Okay. And then, so all that, all that fucking said. And then I see, I see Taleb's tweet on Twitter. And it's about how we need to cancel Spa Fine Joe Rogan. <laughs> because that, apparently Joe Rogan's just, I, I don't know. If Joe Rogan's, he's responsible for millions of deaths. Because of course he is. Mike, you, you gotta be full of shit. Like I, you, and henceforth the tweet, I'm like, you are a fucking, you're a fucking coward. Like you have no balls, dude. you like, you like, I don't even know I, how someone at your level of intellect got to this level of just hysteria. I have no idea. It's interesting how a guy that, that positioned himself as anti-establishment 
You are one of the biggest establishmentarians out there. And he can't even fucking see it. No, apparently not. So, so that, that's the, the origin of how, you know, that's why I commented that. And I guess it upset him. Um, which this was, is one of the most epic rants of all time, by the way. Yeah, hopefully, this, this, this hopefully, is, if you guys, you know, this you is can, a humdinger of a monologue. You, you can, it's, it's it's straight to Rumble, but God damn it, we're going to push it out there because I think you just captured so much, and however that monologue is of how so many of us are feeling. I I, I would I would challenge everyone, fucking impassioned. Everyone rant. that listens, like God I would, damn, that was everyone good. that listens, please like challenge everything I had to say. Like if yeah. I if I'm wrong and you like tell me. From the data I've I've seen, I've spent a lot of time diving through this shit. Right. I I feel fairly certain about the positions I have. I'm not gonna say these are my beliefs. Like the positions I have on these various things I just talked about, I I have certainty about them. Right. You know, I've, this is something I've obviously taken seriously. Um. Yeah. So like so all of that, and then that, like I said, like to have someone like Tail just reacting that way, behaving this way, I'm like, yeah, that's disappointing. That's very disappointing. It is, and 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 he and he's one of of many of people that you know we've held in high esteem, we've respected. That COVID broke their brain, and it's it's I don't know why it is. It seems like every fissure, every crack, has just widened over the last couple of years. I, I it's hard, and I guess it's just this is like the perfect. I don't. It's not a psyop, but it's like it just divides society in these ways that we could have never anticipated, or somebody did. Mm -hmm. um, but with Talib, it, it, it's just. So damn, I'm going to have to just go to Lebanon and knock on his door and say, hey, man, give me a fucking refund for this book because <laughs> you don't even believe in it. I mean, they're great books, but like, like that, that's the thing, right? You don't like, even believe you, in you it. You think all these things and you say all these things, you've expounded all these things. Like when it comes down to such like a high tension, unknown situation, is this really what you live by? Yeah. I, it doesn't seem like it. I don't, I don't see it. Yeah. No, there's this one picture I'll never forget of him on the plane, like double triple mask with goggles on and i'm thinking are you are you having fun with this or is this really what you're doing i think he subscribes to it dude i do yeah i mean like i mean there there's like uh who was it like is pearson for example or pearson you know like he like he you know he got the vaccine mm -hmm. and he realized like you know what this is actually becoming like a civil like i even go on a rant about the civil liberties issue mm -hmm. like like you know why am i living in florida you know, because the, the governor of Florida, DeSantis, he was the only governor, like one of the only few, one. one of the few governors in yeah. America where he had the foresight that, you know what? Only one of a major this, state. Yeah, this situation, yeah. which is turning into basically like a tyrannical situation where people are, they're being fined. Businesses are, you know, being, t you know, being told essentially like, you know, we're creating this criminal class of behaviors, you know, for not obeying this, you know, constantly shifting set of orders about how we're supposed to act and not act in regards to stopping the spread, stopping death, stopping hospitalization. Were mm -hmm. we really trying to stop? We don't even know. Like, I'm not, I'm not allowing this to happen. Like, like, no, we're not going to tax you. We're not going to write fines. Like we're, Florida, which is was gonna, a huge political, uh, huge, him, right? huge. Like he was, yeah. called, he was called like a merchant of fucking death. Right. And then you know, at the end of it, two years later, Florida is like one of the few States that's actually thriving. Economy's grown. And you look at the hospitalization rate and the, you know, you look at the death rate of actually, how many people are actually dying from COVID. And there's no difference between Florida versus New York, California, right. or in many cases, it's lower. You know, same thing with some of the various Nordic countries where they actually opened up sooner. Oh my God, they're going to kill people. Uh, it, their waves end up being exactly the same as the countries that stayed in lockdown. Lockdowns didn't fucking do anything. Now, again, recent reports coming out, you know, like, I guess, you know, Britain, Daily Mail, like, you know, there's, there's these various think tanks, you know, writing these kinds of things. It's like, actually, lockdowns, we think might have reduced deaths by like 0.01%. They actually didn't do shit. Oh, oh, that's fascinating. 
It's nice to hear that now. You know, it's like right. it's, after could, you've ruined. Yeah, young we could have known lives. that two years ago, but it's like okay, now we're hearing like now, you know, it's again, this is slowly being uh, not psyop, but like it's slowly being trickled out. Like let's just back away from these policies. Like right. let's, let's not do a lockdown. Let's just test one population. You know, let's just actually just tell people to kind of be healthy. The hospitals apparently are not going to be overwhelmed. At this point, a large percent of the population either has had it or has immunity, you know, mm-hmm. one or the other. So this is kind of over in a lot of cases. You just hit something. I, not. I want to interject real quick. Go ahead. We talk about, remember the whole thing about the hospitals being overrun. So yeah. you know, I've got some, you know, family, my stepmom's a doctor and I'm surrounded by doctors <laughs> most of my life. And I remember thinking like, wait a second, I don't think hospital beds are like at 20% occupancy. And then all, you know, and then all of a sudden we have these COVID people come in and they're flooded. Like this is a business. Mm-hmm. They need to have beds filled. Yeah. And I asked people, I said, what is the average occupancy rate of like a hospital? How many beds? I'm, I'm going to venture to guess it's something like 80, 90%. Mm-hmm. So you add a few people to that and kind of, you know, the, the historical average. And all of a sudden you've got an influx of people that are scared or feeling sick or whatever from COVID. Of course it's going to be overrun. Yeah. But to take that and drum it up and act like, oh my God, the hospitals are being overrun. Well, it's not like there's empty beds everywhere. It's a business. And so you add a few people to that and that was continually you know, pushed out. They're like, oh, we got to worry. The hospital's a hospital. Well, it's just, it's, that, it mean, never I, happened. No, I mean, a lot of that was abusive statistics. It's like the hospitals, yeah. you know, the hospital is a, you know, like, I mean, like hospitals, the other thing with hospitals, hospitals have a variable number of beds they can have depending on how they set, set themselves up, you know, internally. Right. It's, there's not necessarily a set number. We could have, you know, anywhere between 140 to 170 depending upon, you know, how we set up the wings, how we open stuff up. So it's like, like, like you know, that's a you know, great example. Like, oh, the hospital's overrun. Like it's at the top rank, it's at 101%. You know, like, I can't handle any more people. Like, what was it before? Uh, it's usually 80%, 89% filled. I'm like, okay, so. In like That's a, a good point. And they okay, can, so in a bed, yeah. in a 150 bed hospital, it has 15 more people in it than normal. Is that like 16? Is that, that, that qualifies being overrun? Because like, you're giving the impression right. that there's a thousand dead bodies like out in the street that just can't get a bed. But like, this is, that, this is, is this that is, actually happening? No, but this, you're, this is hitting on something really important is that. People were very impassioned when they heard these talking points and would repeat it ad nauseum. Oh, yeah. And then whenever you ask them a question saying, could you tell me a little bit more about that? And you're trying to get some background and you want to get some insight. Mm-hmm. They don't have any response. No, no. Nothing was ever substantiated. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then, like, I mean, that was the narrative, right? It's just like an, it's a narrative of fear, this ongoing fear. And like, any, the, the, what's crazy for us is like, we live in Florida. Life's pretty normal here. Yeah. I mean, you'll see people in masks, but it's like, yeah, there's no real well, restrictions. But we yeah. think it's funny. Yeah. When I see somebody in a car wearing a oh, mask. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, look, <laughs> look, at this, look at this fucking person. <laughs> like, there's something, cuckoo. You know, there's, yeah. some, there's something going on with them. But yeah, I mean, it, we, we don't see a lot. And there's never, even with people that do wear masks, mm-hmm. There's not the shaming of people that don't. No, there's no ten. I mean, the majority of people don't wear masks. You know, it's the yeah. other thing. Like, or like you know, been in some places. Yeah. Like I remember being in you know Asheville, North Carolina, like a year and a half ago, and you're walking down the sidewalk and people are masked by themselves walking down the sidewalk, and if they you're like a leper mm-hmm. if they're walking by you and they're like angling out like walking into the yeah. street because they don't want to be anywhere near you and you're thinking, my God, imagine living like that. Excuse but me. there's a lot of people that. Um, that's that's I think that might be permanent. I think it's going to be really hard to unring the bell. I mean, at a certain point, the, the whole COVID, the whole COVID situation, it, it crossed the line from being about solving the problem of the virus to you are the problem if you are the unvaccinated, not pro mandate. Mm-hmm. 
not not boosted enough. Like, Questioning like you, the narrative. You are like you're like you're the one that's causing this. It's yeah. not the virus. It's you. Yeah. Like you know, like you know, why are people so divided now? Well, you know, when you frame it that way, like, what did you expect to happen? Right. Right. I mean, it really is evil too. I mean, you no, think I like. About, I, I just you think about families and people that are. You know, I think a lot about you know some of my historical friendships and how that's changed over the last couple of years. You know, I, I've found more commonality with, you know, people that I've met on Twitter, which mm -hmm. I mean is crazy to me that you would actually be more ideologically aligned with people you meet on Twitter, but we're all looking for each other. We're kind of self-sorting and just meeting people out in everyday life, which Florida is a great place. I mean, like there's oh, a lot of people of like mind. And again, it's kind of sorting, you know, really, really cool people here. I hope we can go for 10 years and it's still a cool place without getting ruined. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of think there might be an expiration date to everything, but Florida's done a really good job of that. But no, a lot, a lot of my historical friendships, they, they withered away. They died on the vine. We don't keep in touch anymore. And I went through a period of, you know, kind of lamenting that and being sad about it to like, you know what, fuck it. That's the way it is. Fine. I'm just going to move forward with the new reality. And I want to find people that are more similarly aligned. How, how did it go for you? Is that, do you have a similar experience or? No, I mean, this is going to sound so, so fucking bro, but like pretty much all my friends now are really based. So like it, it's, <laughs> right. it was like cool yeah. the past two years for the most part, like the last few years. Um, yeah. I mean, I have some family members that are liberal leaning, but like we managed to keep it civil with each other. That's good. It, it has been interesting to see, you know, some of them, like especially the ones that live in California where they're sort of just in a state of this constant paranoia fear because of COVID. Mm -hmm. versus, you know, like myself, or like I, we're in Florida. Like, that's not how it is here. Right. I mean, you, you can, it makes you realize how much of, how much the, how much of the social feeling that you get, like the vibe from state to state, city to city, like, you know, that's driven by belief. Like, what do the people there believe? Yeah. What, what are their mental operating systems? Because that's right. going to influence all their interactions, it's going to influence how they see the world, obviously. So, you know, so when you go back to a place like, you know, some of the more liberal parts of California, I mean, I have, I have friends in, now that are in Canada, and like, it's just, they've gone insane. Because they've like been locked down on and off over and over again. Like, when does this ever end? And it really doesn't. Like, this is, it's an abuse of power. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, like, I'm trying to get people to, like, snap out of that. Like, this, I mean, this kind of goes in, like, the future. This is, like, future casting of the world, like, or future casting of the United States. You know, the, the places that thrive are going to be the places that have people where they are relatively, relatively free. Mm -hmm. They're free to live. They're not, they're not living under atmosphere fear. I expect the cities and, you know, states where that's still how they're operating, they want to keep that going. They're going to decline in various ways. You know, whether it be a loss of intellectual capital, whether it be a loss of industrial capital, whether it be, this be a loss of population, whether it just, it becomes like a low quality place to live. You know, almost like the way that, you know, parts of, you know, I mean, I'm, this is going to be stereotypical. Like uh, after the USSR fell. That's what I was thinking too. Yeah, like, you, yeah. So you, po post, that's, you know, that's a good USSR comparison. falls apart in like yeah. 1991. You know, suddenly all these Soviet states, they'll become independent states. And, you know, some of them end up thriving. Some of them, it's like you're in a high tension. They're frozen zone. in time. Yeah, like you're fro yeah, frozen time. That's a good yeah. way of saying it. Um, it. They weren't good places to live for like a long time. It took them right. a, it took them a number of years, almost like another generation to come out of that and be like ready to you know, exist in the world. Because the population has to, you know, acculturate themselves to just a very different state of mind, way of living. Like all their paradigms, all their paradigms of how the world works have been upset. You know, it's like they're they're in a they're in a heightened state of fear, uncertainty, you know, avoidance, um, which you know, like you would expect that. Like you can't judge those people. Yeah, it makes like, sense. Of course, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Um, you know, but so in that situation, like oh, like yeah, you get it. Like it's that's gonna be really rough coming out of that. Here in the U.S. or you know, in some countries in the world, like that, this was manufactured. This it didn't need to be this way. No, this was not necessary. And it's sad. 
because you know we had the ability to pick up and leave and move to a place like Florida, um, you know, which I did about six seven months ago from Texas, which was still decent. But yeah. I feel like Florida is the freest place in the world right now, and specifically South Florida, it's awesome, dude. Like so many great people are moving here. I mean, it doesn't exist. I mean, it's awesome. But I think about what about like the truly innocent people? What about the little kids that had to mask up in school and their parents couldn't do anything about it? Your heart breaks, and you know I. I they're going to be traumatized. They're going to have to live with this. And ultimately, they're going to probably be some pretty damn angry kids that are going to grow into adults one day yeah. and be resentful and pissed off at what was done to them, and rightfully so. Um, but I actually want to take a break. Mm -hmm. uh, let's get a refill. And cool. we're going to come back, and I want to talk a little bit more about the direction of the country because you have some great thoughts on this that are, um, I think, really forward-thinking but also pragmatic. And there's some good advice people can take from it. So we'll be back with Ajax. Base Brotherhood is back with Ajac. Awesome. All right, so we were talking a little bit outside about um, the term national divorce is being thrown around all over the place these days. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to really define what that means. The word divorce is very polarizing, right? But, you know, obviously there's something going on in this country where you see an, an ever-widening ideological divide, and COVID's only made it worse. And, you know, we're here in Florida in freedom country, and <laughs> living the Florida dream, baby. And it's, it's awesome, but, you know, we're living an entirely different reality than other people in the country are. And we are talking about it a little bit earlier. Dramatically different. But what do you think is going to happen over the, the coming years in terms of this? I, it's kind of a soft splitting, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, um, you know, there haven't been, you know, a lot of fireworks yet. But there's definitely a divergence, right? And, and people yes. are congregating in certain states, in certain areas like we are here. And, um, you know, people that are, you know, seeking freedom, they, they're seeking economic opportunity, options, et cetera. Um, you know, just start riffing for us and tell us what, you know, you kind of see happening and what the future may look like. So, like, let's dispel, like, some, like, fantasizing. Like, I don't anticipate or foresee that there being a, a civil war. Like, we're going to fight. We're going to have a civil war. You know, the, the civil war that America did fight. You know, okay, let's say it was over slavery, states' rights. Pretty fucking brutal. Yeah, it was very brutal. There's a major economic divide. You know, civil wars in countries, if you study history, they tend to actually be somewhat hard to predict. Mm. So we like to think that there's a very, like, we, we like to think in terms of very linear cause and effect. Mm -hmm. So we have a problem. I disagree, disagree, one of we got to fight about. It's like, no, like, problems take time to build. Yes. You know, and civil wars are sometimes fought over very stupid reasons. They could be religious. It could be economic. They could be interference from another foreign power you know, trying to put someone on the throne. Or, you know, it could be maybe, you know, you have a multitude of ethnicities and they can't really mutually agree upon who leads them. And they sort of start fighting once themselves. Absolutely. And then they get invaded and then they decide, oh, well, now we're going to fight them. Like uh, You're they, talking about Lebanon right now. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm talking about, uh, you know, like historically, like the, the, the Polish, like Lithuanian Commonwealth and Russia. Like, you know, they had like multiple internal squabbles and then also fighting Russian invasion. And like it took, yeah, you know, like it's just, it's a very messy situation. Right. Yeah, you know, like we like, to, like it's very, this, Americans are very binary. We like to think in terms of, <laughs> like think in terms of bad guys and good guys, and we're going to stop the bad guys. I'm like, that's not how war and conflict 
really plays out typically in reality uh, the vast majority of the time. It, you know, it's, it's rare that you get a situation where you can assign a moral victor and then like an immoral you know, loser right. to a conflict. Right. You know, World, World War II, I think, has really skewed our thinking in that regards. But regardless, you know, so United States, modern day. So we have the U.S., we have obviously blue states, and we have red states. And some red states are supposedly like, oh, they're getting purple. You know, for a place like Florida, Florida is becoming actually more red. Correct. Yeah, it's, it's actually becoming more Republican. You have blue states, which are becoming more blue. So, you know, it's this you know, very sharp color divide. The quality of life, state of life, you know, the values, ideologies, how people operate, they are different state to state. What would like a national divorce look like? Would that be that, let's say, certain states, red states become, you know, maybe they're more, their own economic zones, but they're still using like the U.S. dollar, still part of the overall U.S. economy? Yeah, maybe. I, I think in the next five to 10 years, what we're going to see is a renewed conversation among about states rights mm-hmm. and the constitutional amendments that govern that of like okay what rights do states have to govern themselves what are the federal powers where is that division because there's gonna there, like there's already challenges happening obviously at the state level in regards to even like the, the current vaccine mandates and those things where it's like well this isn't really law so we don't have to follow it well you do have to follow it but it's coming from the executive branch this is actually not federal law congress can approve this no we don't okay so now well, we're just basically going to sue you Right. And then, like, and you've seen the Biden administration actually lose a multitude of these lawsuits where it's like, ah, you know, actually you can't enforce this and you can't enforce this. And, like, what, it, these are... Matter- and you see, too, with corporations that may be, you know, headquartered somewhere else, but they mm-hmm. have people here in Florida. And so the state's trying to help, you know, defend those. Okay, no, you don't need to have a vaccine yeah. or whatever. But the, the company's saying, you know, they're headquartered in New York and they're saying, no, we're going to do this. I mean, I mean, it, it's but you it's can't. A, but now you can't enforce it in Florida. It's like, okay, well, how? So how do you make sense of that? Like, that's a messy legal situation. Absolutely. And it goes to. It's been going. You know, those those cases have been in courts, and the overall, the overall trend has been that these things are constitutionally unenforceable. Like, you know, that that's happened multiple times now. Where it's like, okay, like, can we enforce like the you know the OSHA you know thing? Like, if you have a you know hundred plus employees, mandates have to do it. I no, you don't actually. We can't. We can't. We have no way of legally enforcing this. We don't have the constitutional power to do this. Okay, like that's you know cool. Like yeah, like so like the left. Like, I'm sorry, the right is winning in that regard. Um, are some corporations going to still enforce it? Yeah, they they might. But now it becomes ideological. We're we're choosing. We're electing to do this. Right. I've heard of people getting their pay docked. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to fine you, or you're going to we're going to put some type of tax, take something out, you know, sort of pressure you into it. Is that legal? Uh, well, that's probably going to be a court case as well. So as these court cases, you know, continue to pile up and these challenges get made, you're going to see this continuing division of states where it's like, hey, this state, you're, we're open for business. We will enforce and allow none of this shit, Florida. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have states that are totally fucking on board with it. Right. And that's going to attract certain businesses and going to attract certain people. So, you know, within probably four or five years, and you're going to have states, you know, like Florida's kind of already doing this now. It's like, hey, you know, what? we kind of want to bring back the state militia. Now, state militias have existed for over well over a century, centuries, decades. They're not a new thing. States already have them. But it's become sort of the, you know, I remember like a few months ago, it was like, oh, Florida's going to, DeSantis is going to have his private Nazi army. It's like. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Too. Multiple states have militias. California has militia. New York has militia. Like, that's not a new idea. Why is that notable, though? Because it's just, it's an example of states going back and looking constitutionally of like, what, you know, what, what powers and things can we actually do? Like, what rights do we have? Maybe we, maybe we got things that we don't we haven't really tapped into. Right. Or maybe there are certain you know, legal precedents that are open to reinterpretation. Yeah, when we hear people like you know, Ron DeSantis saying that 
openly that he wants to run the state like a country. Mm -hmm. And that's his obligation as governor to behave that way, which I'm totally for. Cool. And when you talk about precedent, we look at Gavin Newsom to, you know, talking about California being a nation state, the fifth largest mm -hmm. economy in the world. So that's not a new idea. Yeah. No. Cool. I mean, California kind of pioneered that of like, hey, we're California. Absolutely. We do what we want in California. We don't run California like you other backwards racist states <laughs> we're we're the progressive state right now that's why we have the highest you know tax rate in businesses that's why we have tens of thousands of people fleeing the state that's why you know fucking we will basically you know we will draw we will suck blood from your body if you don't fucking pay us to our franchise tax board yeah which is why i left california yeah um amongst other fucking reasons because they will pursue you I yeah mean, they I, will. I, I, i've lived in california for, you know for a couple years they'll pursue you more than the irs does Absolutely, and nobody knows this. More than the IRS. If you establish California. a residence in California for any period of time, the state tax agency will pursue you. And I had a situation where they were coming after me, mm -hmm. and I had to have my accountant, who was based in Texas, say, no, he never officially changed residence. He didn't get a California driver's license. He was living there temporarily on business. But he, I had to go through the expense and the yeah. effort of having my accountant send them a letter to get off my ass. Mm -hmm. And... You know, I'm, I'm a, you know, this, this was like a nothing. This was a nothing burger. No big deal. Yeah. And you think about what people are having to go through that have businesses and trying. It's amazing that California has been the draw that it has this long, isn't it? Uh, you, I mean, it's, California at one time was an amazing state. There's a whole yeah. culture. There's a whole segment of media about California. California dream and California living. Oh yeah. California girls. Like, I mean, that's, you know, there's a lot of art that's come out of California. And at one time I, I mean, I could, I would say like it was the best state in the country. I thought I, I grew up for, there. For, from a beauty and scenery yeah, standpoint, weather. nothing can compare to California. Amazing. Yeah. But the governance, holy shit. It is, it has gone. I, I'm going to say backwards. It has gone into a pit. Yeah. You got woke, you got woke mayors, you got woke, you know, attorney generals, woke DAs. You and you've got a one-party state. I mean, it's, there's, there's, yeah, there's really it, no it, opposition. It's, it's a one-party. It is a one-party state now. If it didn't have the weather that it has, California would be a. I mean, it's insulting to say oh, it would be a third-world country because third-world countries run better than California. <laughs> California would. If California did not have the weather that it has, it would be a fourth-world shithole with decaying infrastructure, and it would probably look like Eastern Europe, 1992, like you know, former like Soviet bloc country. Of like, what the fuck happened to this place? Mm -hmm. Everybody like looks like they like have gone through a war. That would be California. But because the weather is pretty good, they don't have any extreme weather events, it doesn't really matter that things are run really right. shitty because there's no, there's no calamity that's going to befall them that really breaks the system that way. I want to say something. The weather is that good. Oh, it's it, amazing. It, Jesus. It, it, it is worth something. I mean, if it people is. say oh, it, absolutely. I mean, it, it's very, very hard to leave California. I mean, I, I remember living in Playa Vista and you get in your car in the morning and you drive to the gym and it's like the most like the sky has a different tint to it. The, the, the sun has a different radiance. And you feel like, God, I'm winning. Like, regardless of what's going on in your life, it's like, I'm winning by being here. This is, I, this is heaven on earth. This is so amazing, right? Then you I, drive over a pothole. Yeah. And you're, no, but it, it's, it's I, I there being, is something to it. Oh, there is. I remember being in California, yeah. this is like seven years ago now. It was a while ago. Yeah. Um, but like I remember, I was in Santa Barbara for a wedding, and it, like the weather was perfect. Love Santa Barbara. Sky. Santa Barbara is a beautiful city. Yeah, it is. You're right on the beach. It's just it's stunning. Yeah. And like I was there for a wedding, and I'm talking to like one of the, the bridesmaids, and she's attractive, and like you just have you have the juxtaposition of the sun, 
the setting sun, the sky, the clouds, right. the changing colors. And you had like a moment. Yeah, I'm looking at her, like you're having a drink. I'm like, like God, like this is just perfection. Yeah. <laughs> I know. There is nothing yeah. that could make this moment more pure, more satisfying, more beautiful. We'll never be here again. Yeah. Like, I'm just, I'm just going to remember this right now. Just like, I'm just going to remember it. Like, you know, that's, that's California. It is. And then, the, yeah, I go there now. I'm like, it's just disappointment. Just endless fucking disappointment everywhere I go. No, it is. I, I, I remember living there in 07, 08. And I would uh, you know, go to Venice Golds, you know, the home of yeah. bodybuilding and had a, all the different characters. And I remember, what was the guy? Carl Weathers who played Apollo Creed was there mm -hmm. all the time. You know, you'd have all the great bodybuilders. And it was just, it was just a fucking scene. It was an awesome scene. And I, I, I remember going back a couple years ago with my wife and I forget the street that's adjacent to it, you know, where you have kind of like the open area and everybody's training out back, yeah. but there was tents everywhere and yep. garbage and mm -hmm. crap and zombies. Yeah. And I, 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 I had to explain to her, I said, babe, it wasn't like this. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like this just 15 years ago. And now no. she's seeing it, but that's all she sees. And she's thinking, what is this all about? And of course, you know, like the houses in Venice are still worth, you know, multi-millions for yeah. like, like, this is supposed to be like a, this is supposed to be like the shining first world alpha city. It on is. Planet Earth. It is. And you, you can go to its major cities and it's just crackheads on crackheads on people on ODing on schizophrenics on vagrants. And it just, they're everywhere. And then crime's gone up, you know, across yeah. you know, a whole bunch of metrics. Yeah. And you're not, you're not supposed to like really talk about that. And so you, your crime goes up, homeless rate has gone up, taxes have gone up. Quality of infrastructure, infrastructure in general is just Tents declined. on the side of the road on highways everywhere? No. I mean, it makes, it, and, and I even, I remember, you know, driving in the Hollywood Hills and looking at some of these amazing places, you know, great architecture. California is always a leader in yeah. residential commercial architecture, but you look at some of these places and you think this is a five, $10 million house, but then you look at the road and the road's crap. And you're thinking, you know, these people driving luxury cars, Lamborghinis, Mercedes, whatever. And they're driving on this dilapidated, just bombed out road. With, but then there's like, it's, it's a juxtaposition of the weather and the beauty and the architecture and the people and the vibes. But then you have this underbelly of people that are impoverished, the people that, are, that there's no hope and a decaying infrastructure. And you just wonder, what is this going to look like over time? Because we can't let such a beautiful place just rot. We, we, we can't let that happen, but I don't really know what our recourse is, right? I mean, that's for, that's for California to decide. Like, I mean, like I was saying at the beginning, like California, California like, was the state that pioneered, like, we are our own state, and we do mm -hmm. things our way. Okay, yeah. like, so Florida. Can well, that was a middle-class dream. Yeah. Like in the 30s, 40s, yeah, and moved 50s. moved to California. Yeah, you moved to California. I mean, I don't, there probably wasn't a state income tax. Housing was affordable, and it really is vintage Americana. You think about all the great films and, you know, the music and everything that originated in California and it's become something entirely different. And, and my heart breaks for it because it is an important part of America and we need to reclaim it, but we've got a long road ahead of us if it's even possible. But, um, you know, coming back to, you know, the whole thing about national divorce, mm. I think you have a, a pragmatic reasoned approach into how this may look. And then it's just going to be a kind of a slow grind where I, people kind of sort out. This and, is going to sound funny. Yeah. That's not you, but this is going to sound funny. No, go ahead. I, I think it will become a situation that's somewhat similar to Russia. Hmm. Now, let me, let me distinguish this. Now, most, most people don't know anything about how the fuck Russia operates. Nothing. So Russia is obviously the world's biggest country, no doubt. Like, of course right. it is. Right, right. The world's biggest country across right. so many time zones. Russia, because at one time it was the USSR and encompassed all these different other smaller countries, which are now their own separate countries, 
the way that Russia today operates as a federation, there are autonomous semi-countries in Russia. You know, places like Dagestan, for example, where it could be uh, yeah. Metal yeah. From. yeah, yeah, so it has you know, so Russia has a system where you have the, the sort of the country of Russia itself, and you have these autonomous zones. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're, 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 look, Russia has a lot of different ethnicities in it. A lot. It's not mm-hmm. just Russians like that. You know, what is who is a Russian? Well, look at look at the, as, as you move from you know like you know Moscow, mm-hmm. and you know the areas closer to Europe in the west, and you move eastward, and you see. It's an entirely different looking right. well, type you, of person. You have, you have right? Turkic people, you have Kazakh people. Mm-hmm. Um, you, ha- you have you, know, you have a segment of Mongolians. You have like a mixed Chinese, you know, Russian population, like very far east of Russia. Um, you have the Tatar population, mm-hmm. the Kazakh population. Like you have all these different ethnic groups, and a lot of them like they have their own. Like you know, if you go actually look at Russia and like you look at the different parts of it, like they have sort of like like what they call like autonomous zones where mm-hmm. it's it's Russia. It uses the ruble as a currency, but it's sort of basically it's allowed to run itself. Like it, there's not a whole lot of interference. Right. And obviously Russia is so fucking vast. It's like, you know, you're over there. You guys have been there a long time. Just do your own shit. Yeah, and right. we don't really care. Just don't fuck up. You know, don't start doing Islamic terrorism. No, we don't want any of that shit. Just, just behave yourselves. And it's all good. Right. Thumbs up. Right. Just don't fuck up. Right. That's how they run. And I, I wonder, if they, like, let's say 2003, the United States, if that becomes a sort of this weird situation where the federal government has become increasingly weak, uh, you know, just for, you know, for a multitude which, of reasons. Which, which, which looks likely. Which it's, it's on that trend. Like the federal government, you know, despite its, you know, overreach of powers, let's say during the COVID, you know, you know, you know pandemic, scandemic trade. You know, I, I, consider, I would consider the federal government to be overall quite weak, weak right now. You know, it's corporate run. The actual people who are, you know, in charge, so to speak, in this administration are basically just a whole bunch of viziers competing, you know, for who the fuck knows. Or basically their own self-interest. Mm-hmm. The actual pre- president is basically a geriatric that is, you know, non-functional. It's like, who, who's actually running anything right now? Yeah. Like, we don't even know. Nobody no. knows shit. No, we um, don't. Yeah, so like, I, don't, I don't fear the federal government in that regard. Um so, you know, obviously we have corporatism and cronyism, all those things. So I'm like, all right, so. Which really runs America. I mean, I think Putin even talked about this. He said with America, there's a the person you meet with that's supposedly in mm-hmm. charge. But then there's the actual bureaucracy and administrative state that's enacting, dictating policy. Yes. And it's basically handed to that person and they're just kind of a widget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're a, they're a you know, spoke in a wheel cog in a machine that's actually facilitating it. And it makes a lot of sense, and it's not something that people want to hear because we want to think no. that we elect our leaders, and those leaders are those leaders to... are they are they are making those decisions. Yeah, yeah. You know, Putin had the, he had a really good there was a really good HBO series about him, um, which I'm probably not having any HBO now. It was Roger Stone interviewing him. I thought it was fucking cool. Yeah, and obviously Putin gets oh like over idolized in the West. Obviously, like Russia has like a 25 percent poverty rate. Like it's you know, a lot of, one for Russians like live below the poverty line. Life is fucking hard there. Right. It's not like it's a shining example of like, wow, it's so much better in Russia. Like, right. if you have money, it is. Um, but, yeah, like, you can always make the argument that, you know what, these are countries that which historically, like, they've always had a strong leader. That's kind of their model of how they operate. So, you know, if that's how they run, it's how they run. Like, they, they don't have they, they don't have any prior model to defer to, to refer to of, like, you know, if we had a true democracy, things would be so much better. It's like, it's probably about as good as you're going to get. Yeah, you know, like, I mean, there's a yeah. lot of... Yeah, there's various countries in the Middle East like that, the Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, where, you know what, they are dictatorial, 
you know, you could say they're authoritarian. Well, it's one guy making decisions. It's a dictatorship. Here's the thing about dictatorships, which I would argue makes them more honest than actual democratic governments. When you have a dictatorship, you have one guy that you can always blame for all your fucking problems. Mm-hmm. And he actually, at a certain point... There's a has, level of accountability. Yeah, he, there's, yes, there's a level of accountability. And at a certain point, he has to actually be responsible for your demands, to be responsive to your demands. Because you all know who he is. Everybody knows who he is. He's a cold personality. If you want him out of power, well, you all know what to do. And right. it's one guy. Right. It's not distributed decision-making. It's one person who represents your sovereignty. So he's in a very high-risk position to not fuck up. Yes. So, you know, Putin somehow being in power in Russia for 20 years, I guess he's doing something right enough where it's working for them and they're not upset about it. Cool. But he, so he's a reference to the Roger Stone documentary, which is really fucking cool. So he's an extremely intelligent guy, very intellectual. You know, like, it's very clear he believes in things. But he made the comment that, you're, you know, that you were making where he's like, when presidents get elected in the United States, it's always the same thing. The president shows up, and, oh, here's your leader. And then men in briefcases show up, some very dark suits. Yeah. And they tell him how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And then whatever he says is what they said. So what you're really dealing with is what those men say. You're not dealing with him. You know, and I've, I've been in this situation like three times now. I know how it goes. And like, it's, it's, it's a really cool miniseries if you get a chance to watch it. Yeah, no, no, I need to. I mean, Oliver Stone's phenomenal, and I think he uh, does a really good job. I mean, I, I yeah, know. Oliver I, Stone, not yeah, Roger Stone. No, I say no. Roger Stone. Oliver yeah. Stone, Oliver Stone. Yeah, Roger Stone's a different kind of character. But, <laughs> but no, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think he takes a very reasoned approach in, in, in talking to Putin and presenting Putin. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it does make a lot of sense what you're saying. And I think it also. It can be a very bitter pill for Americans to swallow because I think we're starting to understand, you know, the implications of, of um, a, a democracy that's starting to fray and not function the way that we thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that is very and I think it's actually more difficult for older people and for boomers because they have this perception of kind of the vintage Americana. And I think Trump is even like this, it, it were, it like worked, the old generals and the way it used to be and the flag and the reverence and all of that. And the truth is we don't live in that world anymore, do we? No, it, it, that worked really well for a really long time. Like this is sort of like the class. This is like, it's supposedly like a, this might be like an apocryphal Benjamin Franklin quote uh, or Madison quote. Like, you know, we have a Republic if we can keep it, mm-hmm. you know, like this is a government designed for moral people. Like, you know, if you're going to have a legitimate Democratic government that functions well, you need an educated, engaged, civically-minded population who overall get along with each other and share values. If you don't have that, then you've developed in this tension. You develop a high-tension, you know, fractitious situation. It's going to eventually fall apart. Um, you know, what does it mean for the country breaks up? No, but you might end up with a country like we have today, where it's sort of like neo-feudalistic. Mm-hmm. So you have people where, because of inflation, because of corp- you know, corporatism, there is you know extreme wealth discrepancy. Yeah. If you are at this bottom class, you're probably never leaving unless you are exceptionally gifted. If you're in the middle class, you're going to have to 55 extra income to get to this upper class. If you can make it in that upper class, you're fucking living, you're living large. You're, you want to live. you're in a stratified yeah, class. You're in a stri- yeah. yeah. And, you're in and, rare and, air. And, and, and that's the way the most of the world is. Like when you go to Latin America, you go to these other countries, the people are in that stratified, you know, upper class. They never really lose their money. That money no. lasts generation to generation to generation, and they're always taken care of. Um, cause they have, you know, protections and measures in place, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, in America, we, we always think that upward mobility is possible and rags well, to riches, sort of Horatio value, Alger. Right? Like, yeah. That, I mean, that, but which is, I, I, I'll, honestly, I think it's been a lie mm-hmm. for a while. Yeah. Um, you know, but it, it is still possible just because of 
the fact that we have 330 million people, we have a consumer economy, you know, we are technologically advanced and we are still a hub of innovation, maybe not as much as we need to be, you know, to maintain our advantage, but there's still a lot of opportunity here that people can take advantage of. Well, hugely. I mean, like yeah. America is the best country in the world for making money. Like I would never dispute that. Like that's yeah. not going to change for a long time. The best country in the world to make money. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the downside to that is that the, the modus operandi of America is money. So being the best country in the world to make money also makes it, you know, probably the worst country in the world for the mobility that money gives you. The hustle never sleeps it, too, It never right? does. Like, yeah. you know, like that, that is what drives, you know, that, that's what drives the soul of the United States at this point. How much money can you make? You know, what economic rung can you, you know, eventually ascend to? If you can get up there on the ladder, you can get in the 1%, you can live however you want. Right. Yeah, like I, I've actually managed to get myself there. And it's great. Yeah. It's fucking cool. Yeah. yeah like I fucking, I love living in a luxury community. Uh, yeah. I love driving a luxury car. I love going to luxury places. I love fucking, you know, pulling up into a gym that I know, you know, this is kind of an expensive gym. And everybody is, you know, from New York and they do deals and they're retired now and they have a portfolio. It's like... And like, I see my income kind of go up. I'm like, wow, this is so fucking cool. This is great. Like I'm you know, like, it's, it's nice, right? It's cozy. Like, you don't want to leave this. But I, I, ch I check myself all the, I'm like humble bragging right now. I'm just right. bragging. No, out no, right. but no, no, but like, you're, you're stating I check facts. myself all the fucking time. Yeah. I'm like, why did I get to this position? Because I got this position because I knew this is the only fucking way that if you want to serve, if you want to survive and adapt and thrive in the modern world, you need to be in the 1%, you need to have high income, you need to be making money online, you need to be economically mobile and fast and move quickly. You have to do that. You know, if you, if otherwise, if you don't do that, if you're relying upon a job, if you're relying upon, oh, I'm gonna get, hopefully I get compensated for my work. If you're relying on the conventional means that most people rely on, the mm -hmm. majority of the world relies on, you're gonna get fucking dragged. Mm -hmm. you know, like I've, I've said this before many times, like you either lead the curve or you get dragged by it. Yes. Like you, like if you, if you want freedom, if you want you know, personal freedom, you want, you know, freedom of mobility, you want freedom of opportunity. If you want, you know, it's really to have your, like your rights even not infringed upon mm -hmm. you know, money talks, mm -hmm. you know, money is the energy that, that moves all of that, that gives you the ability to do that. If you don't have that, like you're going to have a whole bunch of limitations put on you and like, they're very hard to break through. Right. They just are. Um, yeah. And then I look at the United States right now, like I was talking about like neo-feudalism. It's like, where's it going? It's like, okay, like it's, Extreme wealth and well, extreme wealth discrepancy. You know, corporations are you know essentially sort of buying out and getting rid of like small business as a whole. You know, like the, the classical example being like, oh, Walmart pushed out business. They did. They did. You know, so like now we're operating the super corporate environment. But everything's big box. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the same time, you know, you have you know, let's say you have like a, like the decline of like single family you know housing. You know, what's what's the new trend now? Apartments, condos, or these yeah. you've seen these little. 700 square foot boxes well, why, that look like why, house why trailers. Have cities, this is actually yeah. like a niche subject, but yeah. why have cities changed so dramatically in the 20th, 21st century? Like what made cities beautiful 100 years ago that makes them ugly now? 100 years ago, if you were going to create a city, a big city for people, you would build neighborhoods of homes. Mm -hmm. And we go to, yeah, even like Miami, there's historical neighborhoods of homes. You go to LA, historical neighborhoods, homes. You go to old city in Europe, people living in homes. And if it's not a single family house, it's, you know, maybe it's one or two sort of families together, or it's narrow houses. Mm -hmm. Is that built anymore? Zero. If you are in a modern city today, what is built is condominiums, or more likely actually what is built is 
extreme density, high volume housing. It's apartments, which are, as you said, 700, 500, 300 square feet, mm -hmm. micro apartments. Why? Because you can pack more tents into a smaller space. You get more income. You have more tents. It makes you more money. Who's building those? In some cases, it's private developers. In many cases, it's just it's large, you know, real estate developers, corporations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does that do to cities? Well, now you have more population density. What does that do to about, well, about cars on streets? You have more people on the streets, more people in cars. Now you have a city that now is unlivable. It right. sucks to get around. It's right. so fucking crowded. Right, right. That's like, this is why New York now, you know, well, maybe not now, now, post-COVID, you know, New York, like, it's a crowded city. Fucking sucks driving around New York. Yeah, well, it's it, traffic. No, no. LA, traffic. Mm -hmm. Miami, traffic. Yeah, you know, I mean, this, this is the reality of the world. Yeah. Old world cities are not built. They're not built. These, these places are not built for people. They're built for profitability. I love cities, dude. I love cities. I'm an urbanite and I, I've, you know, spent a lot of great time in the country growing up and I remember those moments. And, but I, I think about how cities offer something for young people that is just indispensable. No. You have to have it. Um, you know, the, the and, and there is a movement that we see on Twitter with people talking about homesteading yes, and moving out to these rural areas. And I'm just thinking, guys, that sounds great after you've made it. I don't really the, recommend that either, honestly. No, I mean, how the hell do you, I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it because there's an energy that a city provides. You know, here in Miami, I mean, there is a lot of chaos. I, mm -hmm. I wish that we had a little bit better, you know, city planning, city. To, I mean, and when, there's a cleanup operation that needs to happen here mm -hmm. because, you know, COVID destroyed small and medium retail, just absolutely obliterated it. So yeah. now we've got places that are graffiti everywhere and for lease signs and broken windows that that needs to be fixed. It needs mm -hmm. to be rezoned. We got to do something about it, but put that aside, there's still something so valuable and essential for young people. And really just anybody that wants to live a fast paced lifestyle and living in a city. And so when I look at the problems of the country, personally, I'm not equipped to have, or nor have any desire to go live in a rural area and just say, that's it. I'm going to have a garden. I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to have a, a, you know, a chicken coop and I'm going to try to raise my own. I, mm -hmm. I, I just don't have any desire to do that. So and, and people, if you, if that's the lifestyle that you want to lead, fine, go do it. No, find a way to make it cool. work. I, I, no, I agree. You know? I, I've seen this now on Twitter. Like it's so romanticized. Like I mean, I see this on Instagram. I see like so many accounts posting it. Like imagine all I want is just to go live on a, like in the forest and, and grow, <laughs> I don't, you know, grow mushrooms and eat berries and, have a log cabin. I'm like, do you really? Have you ever fucking lived in the forest? <laughs> have, you, have you have you ever actually farmed? Like, do you know anyone that actually farms? Mm -hmm. do you know how backbreaking that fucking lifestyle is. Yeah. I mean, it's very rewarding, no doubt. But like, yeah. have, have you ever actually done that? Like, day at to day, all? at all? Yeah. Do you know? Like, I mean, I've looked at properties in Florida. Like, I've where I grew up was like a rural area, and then it became like a very suburban area. And do you know how goddamn fucking boring it is <laughs> to grow up in a city of 10,000 people or less where it's nothing but fucking ranches and like orange groves? By the there way, there's nothing to do. There's okay. more debauchery and cheating and all kinds of crazy shit in these 10 oh, and 20. Small towns have the best no. fucking stories. No, dude, it's yeah. crazy yeah. shit. And so like in cities, people have to move a thousand miles an hour. They don't have time. They got to go, you know, chase that hustle, mm -hmm. make that dollar. But, dude, I've lived in some of these small rural communities, yeah. and it, it's some crazy – it'll make your fucking skin crawl, <laughs> dude, if it, it, what people no, are doing. It, it, no, in big yeah. cities, the complaints the, – the, like, this is the complaints about big cities. It's like they're dens of inequity because it's like it's 
it's you know it's uh you know, the young women being whores and the young men being uh, <laughs> fuck boys and um you know there's you can't find a serious relationship dating sucks oh yeah okay okay cool yeah okay, I'll agree okay sure that's like L A right right yeah okay this is what it's like being in small towns okay you're in a small town uh you probably know somebody <laughs> that was sexually molested growing up but somehow no one says shit about it because it's a small town you just like this is hush hush like that's just the weirdo family it's yeah. Like, you pro- like if you if there's a church community, which it probably is, rural areas are always religious. Uh, pastor, somebody is probably cheating on their wife. There's probably a always. whole bunch of affairs going on. Yeah, the moms or stay at home moms are probably fucking somebody that's the the pool boy, the gardener, dude, the yes. technician, yeah. next door neighbor. Yeah, there's just somebody that that's probably happening. A lot of dads sleeping with babysitters. That's that's like a very common thing. Like, oh, my husband had an affair with, and they get divorced. Or my best friend, and, and then they like, marry that person. Yeah, like a bunch yeah. of weird shit like that. Yeah. To, yeah, I've seen that multiple fucking times. Yeah, um, couple. Yeah, you know, you've probably seen this where couples where it's like, oh, we're like a friend couple. Yeah, and then the couples cheat on each other, and then end up with the person they were cheating on, and then like they break up. Like I've seen that totally. Like, like so, this, this small town pastoral life. This idea that like it's immune from. I don't know. Human drama degeneracy. Just bullshit. Just bull. I don't. It doesn't matter how small the community is or where people live. They will find a way to misbehave. Now, obviously, there's other factors against this at scale. And you can say, like, you know, this is terrible. That's it. Whatever. But this romanticization that, I don't know, people are going to move to a small homestead and then, what? Like, not participate in society anymore? Right. What are you going to do? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, don't know. Like, while they're as addicted to their smartphone and the internet as they've ever been. Yeah, like you're on you're on fucking Twitter talking about how you like want to save the West and shit. Like I, yeah. I can't take you seriously as a person. Meanwhile, you never talk. Yeah, you're not really participating the way that you need to. And look, the truth is, if that if you really want to, you know, we want to remake this country. I say we, as in people that are listening mm-hmm. to this, and you know, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to remake the cities. You're gonna have to take some ownership over that because it's the whole. It's a whole kit and caboodle. It's a whole enchilada. You can't just say we're going to go move in these rural areas and it's all going to sort itself out. I mean, if if if, if um, you know if, if if the elements on the far left that want to, you know, just are just absolutely relentless in wanting to remake society, mm-hmm. a woke society, they're not going to stop. I mean, I we were in Highlands, North Carolina, a couple of weeks ago. You know, like the the leaves change in Western North Carolina and Appalachia mm-hmm. in late October, going into early mid November. Like, we love, we enjoy that. So we went out there. We go to Highlands, North Carolina. Andy Roddick, a bunch of people live out there. Beautiful, you know, little community. And we met one a guy that owns a, a grocery store there. And he was telling us how, you know, small private school, like 600 kids, college prep school, just brought in a new dean and they're teaching CRT. Yeah. And he has to, and, he, and he's got to pull his kid, you know, for, from going there. So look, you're not safe. You're not safe anywhere. Like, you've got to win today. You know, yeah, wherever if you, you are. To, if you want to win, like what you do, like you have to see, like what you have to do is you have to have a positive effect on the people around you. You have to make the mm-hmm. community. You have to make like a small group, gang, whatever you want to call it. And then, you know, then collectively, you know, as you can coalesce enough people around you where it's like, okay, we kind of all think the same thing. We share values. Now we can enact some positive social change. Even if it's just our own environment. Because now we have friends we reinforce. I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy anymore. All right, cool. Right. Like, now you have right. Now you have the human capital to... You know, change the world, change your world, wherever you're at. Mm-hmm. You know, isolating yourself, it's sort of like a dialectical horseshoe. You know, the same way that you have, like, far, the far, far, far leftists where it's like, we need revolution. You know, now, today, like, we must, you know, seize the means of production, all that right, shit. You're like, right. not, like, 
okay, like none of you can work and you're all skinny. So whatever. Like, yeah, that's been tried. Whatever, whatever. Like, okay. Yeah. Take the factories. You're, you're, you're not going to reduction. Yeah. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Cool. Like, good for you. Fucking go for it. Yeah. You know, and at the same time, you have like, you know, the, the, the far right scale. It's like, I'm just going to be on my homestead with all my guns and 10,000 rounds of ammo. And eventually everything will fall apart. And I'm just going to shoot everybody that shows up. I'm like, you guys kind of actually have something in common here. <laughs> you know, like you're both waiting for the same shit. You're both waiting for the end of the world where you, you, you win something, your scenario happens. And then, who, like, like there's no actual, you know, um, extent, extenuation, substantiation. Like, what, what actually happens next? I mean, this is always the problem with revolutions. Like, we need a revolution. Okay, so if you change, okay, let's, we have, you're going to have a revolution. Revolution, okay. So how does the world function afterwards? The reality is, is you're probably going to create the new world just based on the old world. Old world. It's going to be very, it's going to be completely derivative, and you're probably going to find out that a lot of the systems you want to destroy get rid of, you kind of actually need them. Yeah. And then you're going to put people into power and positions of authority that probably more or less mimic the behaviors of the people prior. And now you are in the exact same fucking position you were within a few generations. So, did you really change anything? Eh, you, not really. But you know what? It felt good at the time. And, and good feelings can keep you going for quite a while. So, no, and a lot of people are waiting for that event. And, you know, too, do you want to monopolize the best of your years of your life waiting for something like this to happen? I mean, look, these things go on a long time. Um, you know, people think it's going to 2024, we're going to have, you know, a contested election and everything's going to break out. Guys, these things can go on a uh, long, this long is unappreciated. time. Like, so yeah. I bring up the USSR again, like Soviet Union, other communists. They were, yeah. Uh, let's see, 1917, Russian Revolution. Okay. Russia has basically civil war from like 1917, 1920, 1921, I believe it is, 1922. Yeah, the white Russians versus like the Reds. Mm -hmm. White lost. Mm -hmm. Okay. Russia becomes communist. Goes into World War II. Okay, post-World War II. Now Russia's like a superpower. Now we're in 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Okay, 1990 it ends. One decade, two, three, four. 90, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40. So we're talking about you know, approximately 60, 70 years for that situation to actually fall apart. Right. To go, you know, from, and here's the thing. Like, I mean, this is like not defensive communism, but like, was the Russian Revolution, was it Russian, was the Russian Revolution unfounded in its motivations? No. Russia had a society that was, Extremely hierarchical, mm -hmm. extremely aristocratic. Mm -hmm. You know, serfdom was you know quite popular there. Like it was used, you know, like you know, explaining people for labor was used for a very long time. Why did communism take root there for so strongly? Maybe you say it was it was the Bolsheviks, it was the Jews, it was okay. But you know what? You had a very large percent of the population that was basically under the thumb of the aristocracy. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, almost like you know, feudal structure for a long time, and they felt like they were kind of getting fucked. So, you know, maybe that revolution, you know, whether it was right or wrong, you know, their motivation for wanting the system to change, it was, it was probably felt reasonable to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't dismiss that. It's not a bullshit argument. Like, it, it, they believed in it. They wanted things to change. They didn't like how their life was. Did that work out for them? No, it didn't. Like, it, it didn't. Right. I, I, you're not going to say it did. But their motivations, like, you know, you could say that. It was, uh, it was some honest motivations. Like, my life is kind of, well, my, my life kind of sucks. I'm fucking poor. I'm always going to be poor. The people above me are never going to lose what they have. This feels really fucking unfair. Yeah, it is. All right, so let's fucking destroy everything. You know, fast forward 20 years. 
I am in a fucking gulag. This did not work out how I hoped. <laughs> I mean, I hope this shit ends It can eventually. be a lot worse. It, yeah. can, it can be a lot, lot worse. And you know yeah. what? Then that became the running joke in Russia that was a real joke. You know, it's just like real communism. Uh, you know what? No, it can always get worse. <laughs> and, fi- and finally, finally, 1980s, it's like, all right, like we've kind of let this go on long enough and we've kind of fucked up and we're really fucking poor and we're actually, we're kind of like running out of money and inflation's going crazy. Like, I think we need to actually sort of start liberalizing shit. And then, that, like, then you have, you know, like what Zet calls is like basically capitalism without capitalism. We're not going to call this capitalism, but we kind of need some capitalism because otherwise shit's just going to fucking fall apart. Yeah. And what did actually happen? It fell apart. And what was the result of it falling apart? Well, we had fucking 1990s and the whole bunch of fucking, you know, the, the whole the whole era of the Yugoslav and Chechen, yeah. all these fucking wars and shit. You're like, say, how great would it be to one of those like Russian oligarchs whenever they were selling off these like aluminum factories and natural gas plants for pennies on the dollar? I mean, after the USSR fell, I mean, it was just like open season. Just I mean, fucking was, sandy. And it was mobs, you know, killing each other. I mean, it was just a free for all. And, you know, you think about all the tumult, all of the things, you know, the revolutions and the regime changes in Russia. And is it, you know, really, you know, how much better off are the people? I mean, I mean, how many instances can we point to of like a revolution manifest and people are substantially better off afterward? Well, it, I mean, you, you could say at the end of like, the, so the like fall of the USSR, you know, like in these, these countries, obviously, they fought with each other for a while and they eventually you know, had their opinions. They sort themselves out like life's actually pretty good in all those places now. Mm-hmm. But they're all like, by American perception, they're all pretty far right, conservative. We're talking about like the former Eastern Bloc. Yeah, former Eastern yeah. Bloc. So they're yeah. far right, conservative. They fucking hate communists. Like, just, they're not yeah. fucking having it at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah, like they've become, you know, somewhat liberalized, like capitalistic. Having been to, you know, visit a few countries, like they run quite well. Well, maybe they're more advanced than us in that they had their dance. They had their time. With under communism, and they understand the implications, whereas we haven't really had that here. No, and so maybe maybe we're going down a road where that's going to have to take take hold. I mean, us. that's going to take a few decades. Yeah. The, the one thing about the United States is because we are an armed population, and we have we already have a fairly strong federal, you know, state system. Mm-hmm. You know, as you kind of like hitting that before, like you're going to have states where quality of life is sucks. You're going to have states where it's really good. Yeah, like you're going to end up with like third world states, you know, it's kind of similar to like South America where it's like you go to go to a city. It's like, all right, well, this is the this is the dangerous poor part where you just go to if you want to get robbed or die. Mm-hmm. This is the not so dangerous, somewhat OK part. And this is where the rich people live. And they got a whole bunch of fences and armed guards and they'll shoot you if you fucking. You know, what you're making me think of fence. a lot of America already. Like I, I think about, you know, living in North Texas and you drive, you know, a couple hours out you know, outside Dallas and you go to some of these places and you see house trailers with dirt roads mm-hmm. and clothes, clotheslines and like cars that are, you know, junkers that are 20 years old falling apart. And that is a lot of rural America. It's kind of already there. And I don't know if a lot of people understand that unless you get in a car and actually drive. Poverty is increasing. Yeah. Poverty is increasing. That's not talked about enough, but like American poverty. Like we have this idea, like we were talking about earlier, of like upward mobility. And we, we generally like to think that we can all live the same in terms of like the same quality of life. Mm-hmm. And it is true to some extent. Like everybody can have an eye. Like almost everybody has smartphones. Right. Like we kind of buy from the same stores somewhat. If Once you get the upper echelon, that's not the case. But, you know, from like the 90% on down, like it's not dissimilar. But poverty is increasing in the United States. Like that's statistically true. You know, obviously unemployment, you know, lots of jobs, you know, payroll, mm-hmm. all this stuff. But like, I remember when I was driving across the country going to Florida um, last year, this is like, this is stuck, this sticks out in memory very distinctly. 
I was going through Arizona, and I, of course, the name of the city escapes me, the name of the town. And I Hi- stopped, Highway 10? You were on 10? Yeah, I was on the 10 freeway. Yeah. And I stopped in, like, it, this a very small, like a gas station town. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of those in the, a in the, lot of in those. the West. I a know lot. It's like, the, it's like the old frontier West, dude. Mm-hmm. Like these places are basically uninhabited. They have eight, they have population yeah. of eight hundred. They have a gas station. Uh, it, it used to be maybe actually like at one time it might have been like almost a thriving city during yeah. the, during the railroad era. Right. Like a hundred years ago, it was actually bigger. Yeah, right. So you go to these cities, like like I was I drove to this really small small city, if you can even call it that, small town, if you can call it that, and it was basically like a trailer park, three gas stations, two restaurants, and. Why I, why I drove through the trailer park, I don't even know. I, th- I think I stopped like to eat, get food, and decided to just see where the road went. I just basically made a circle. And, yeah, I'm not going to say, like, oh, it was dangerous driving through that. But I just drove through this slowly, and everybody that was out, me stopped and was like, who the fuck is this driving through? Right. And I was it's looking almost out, like it's eerie a little yeah, bit. And, and yeah, and yeah, I was like, I could tell, like, there was a level of animosity of, like, okay, like, this, no one goes up this road. Like, who the fuck, what are you doing here? Like, why, why is this guy in a BMW driving through this, driving through our, driving through our territory, right? Right. And I like drove through. I'm like, oh, this is this is fascinating. Kind of like drove through. There was like a campsite in one corner of it. Went back down to the, the gas station. You know, got on the freeway. I'm like, those. I mean, this, and I said, this is not punitive. I'm like, those people's lives are really going to get worse. Yeah. Like they're they're they're. Pers- you had that realization yeah, there. Like their, their purchasing yeah. power is going to go down this next year. Like the money they're getting from the federal government is going to be worth less. Like inflation is going to fuck them. And how many communities are like that across the United States? How many people are like that in the United States where they're right on the edge of worse, better, worse, A hell better, of a lot, dude. Worsening. A hell of a lot. A lot. Yeah. You know, and yes. like that's where I say like the U.S. will be, you know, come sort of like a third world, like, you know, Latin American country. You know, like Brazilification. You know, right. It's, it's a term I've seen thrown around. Right. Where it's like, yeah, you're going to have people doing really well, a struggling middle, and then you just have everybody else. Right. Well, I think you also, you think about Latin America and you'll look at some of these countries and you see these wild political swings whereas the u.s has always been kind of a 50 50 country that's pretty moderate it's kind right? of centrist yeah it's yeah. kind of centrist right yeah. and what you look in these countries you could go from like one regime that's like far left socialism and then they have some you know a, a vote or a regime change and then you have some kind of far right group and then mm-hmm. it could swing back that way i mean you've seen it happen in brazil yeah and so um i think we could see that kind of thing happen here where you have these wild swings in terms of the federal leadership going back and forth. I mean, I, I guess we've already, we are, we've started, right? From like, with, kind of from like I mean, Obama to Trump to you, Biden. You could argue that yeah. with Trump. Like I, I mean, this is kind of like the super, I'm not the first person to make this guesstimation position where, you know, maybe in the future, you know, assuming we still have fair elections, but you know, let's see 2028, 2032, where it's like the American president, like you end up with a extreme far right president. Like how, how's that happen? Well, if life gets shitty enough, Yes. For enough people, they're going to vote for someone that is the exact opposite of everything that's establishment. Exactly. Like, they will vote for that. So at that point, you either have to rig the fucking election hard, mm-hmm. hard rig it, and then hope that nobody comes to your head. Right. You know? You know right. And or you just, you know, you maybe you rig it, and then they do still come for you. And then, well, now we, <laughs> now we have a problem, so yeah. we're going to have to deploy tanks. You know, or you could do what Biden's doing right now, or the administration Dude, like, where they're... As, as you're describing this... Mm-hmm. My mind's eye is envisioning it, and I can see this happening in like 2032. I, I think the federal government is actually yeah. afraid of this now. I mean, that's why the you know the, the National Mall or uh, the you know the White House you know currently still has the fence up around it, where mm-hmm. it's like, uh, you know, like I, besides, I mean, this is like referencing January 6th. 
I don't th- do I believe that was an insurrection? No, but that like that freaked it spooked him. That spooked him yeah. hard. Yeah, it did. Where it's like, oh shit! Like, what if, what if they come for us? Like, we like, what the fuck are we gonna do? All right, let's just armor up. Fucking right. turn this place into a goddamn <laughs> fortress. Right, right. Like right. that. That's that, okay. That's interesting that you did that. Yeah, no, I I can see that playing out in the years to come. It's gonna get, it's gonna be more intense. It's mm-hmm. gonna be more vicious. And so I think people need to prepare for this kind of intensity. I think there's a lot of folks want an, you know, an easy, uh, an easy, I don't want to say an easy resolution, but a quick resolution. Yeah, they want us to like get on with it. Like let's, we need to get in the right people. And I mean, in a certain way, I think Trump, you know, who's a lot more bluster than, you know, and and, uh, and barked and bite, um, maybe came way earlier than he should have. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of initiated a conversation that was difficult for people, but um, we're going to be working through this for a long time. I yeah. think people need to understand that. So. Yes. Listen, you have been so generous with your time. Oh, no and problem. I, I want to, and we want to have you back again real soon because you and I can obviously cool. riff for hours. But <laughs> I want to talk a little bit, you know, in, in you know, wrapping things up about some of the stuff you're working on because you've mm-hmm. got some great courses from like fitness to mm-hmm. crypto, and you've started the Ajax Tribe. Are you? I think you're in the early, which is, is fucking awesome. And yeah. people need to know about that because I think that might be one of the newer things you're working on. But tell us a little bit about your various projects and where people can find it. So, I mean, the, the best place to you know find me, follow me, obviously Twitter, um, yeah, AJ underscore Cortez, Cortez.site, I have a website. I have a newsletter that I've written for the last five years. I have a private membership group, Ajax Tribe. Um, yeah, like my, the, way I, the way I change lives genuinely is, is through fitness. And the reason why fitness is powerful, it's not just, it's not just, you know, you work out guys, you need to get in shape, whatever. Fitness is a metaphysical experience. When you reveal to people that they have the power to change their body and change their mental state through their actions. Now I've given you a great gift. Mm -hmm. I've shown you that you have the power to change. You can apply this physically. You can apply this mentally. You can apply it to whoever you want. The reason why self-improvement for men gets reduced down to you know, just lift weights. Like, why is that so powerful? Because when you go and lift weights, yeah, you know, it's a challenge. You have to be disciplined. You get stronger. Like, it's very gratifying. Oh, wow, my body's changing. What does that do for you? That shows that you have the ability to affect your internal and external environment. So it's like, I, I have the power to make things happen. That's why it's so profound. All the courses I write, like, yeah, they're very scientific. I teach you principles. Like, here's how to, you know, dicer and bullshit. Here's what works and what doesn't. Yeah, but yeah, at the end of the day, I want you to have the power to change yourself. Mm-hmm. So if you go through the whole course and it's like, and you discover that, fucking awesome. Right, I did my job. Membership group, it's just, it's positive reinforcement for, you know, what you've learned. At the same time, it gives you an aspirational group of accountability. Yeah, I don't, I don't oversell this anything. Like, oh, I'm going to teach you how to be a millionaire. No, like, I'm just going to provide you with accountability with other men who are, on upward ascent in their own lives mm-hmm. and you need to show up and, you know, hold yourself to a certain standard. You know, everything in life is decided by your standards. If you don't have a standard, then your standards probably low or non-existent. That's what the membership group is. Um, yeah, the crypto course, that was just, I decided to geek out on crypto for a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Of course, I've been, I've been buying crypto since 2017. I don't think it's ever really explained well at a meta level. It's a lot of like times geeks trying to talk about it. Right. I kind of talk about, I talk about in terms of like, here's what money is. You know, here's what a a blockchain is on a practical level. Here's why these things were created. Here's why I think it's useful. Here's the number of people who are participating in this currently at this time. Here's how it's grown the past, you know, so many years. Mm -hmm. 
I don't make any recommendations in that of like, well, you should buy this. Isn't like, I'm not selling you shit coins or there's no affiliate links. Like I'm giving you some knowledge that you can help you make sense of, you know, what the crypto community is. If you think it's valuable now based upon, you know, all this reading. Cool. If you don't, then whatever, but you should understand it because it's going to become more socially, financially prominent this decade. You know, yes. Obviously it has, you know, come to the forefront that way. So you should know about it. Cool. Um, yeah, that, that's, I think that's, you know, about everything. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I just, I try to be in, in as many places at once as I can with, you know, assuming I share good content. Um, you know, like, yeah, you know, I talked about way at the beginning, like, you know, being a personal brand, trying to be a good example for people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's like, a, it's always like a, uh, I don't know if work in progress is the right word. Yeah, you know, like, you're sort of always updating people on your own evolution. Right. Like, that's how I think of it. Like, I have, right. aside from challenging myself for my own personal growth, I have to, transmit that hopefully to other people and there's something useful that you can extract from it and it does something for you in your own life that you know spurs you to action yeah that's one of the things i like about your account is that there's always something different i mean you're evolving as well which gives people something different and it's like okay this guy is i mean it, it's something to monitor not you're not just playing the same note over and over again no so um dude i'm i'm, I'm so glad to have you here this is, really, this is a great conversation. Really, really appreciate your time. There's a hell of a lot more we could cover. But if someone's watching this recording, they're probably already following you. But if they're not, you got to follow this guy. He's awesome. And uh, let's do it again here in the next few months, dude. Cool. A lot of fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Base Brotherhood with AG.